0: word to the wise we are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us that point would be through chapter 47 in brandon sanderson's the well of ascension the second installation of the mistborn saga
1: Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. Crossland, there's so much goddamn shit that happens
0: in this episode, in this <laughs> section, that like, we're gonna need to drink a little bit for some of it.
1: There's some I know stuff, man. There's not only... You know, thinking back to planning this show, and this season in particular, it is, I think, my favorite book in the original trilogy, and I'm not trying to disparage or taint your picture of the next book at all, but it is not a lot of people's favorite book. It is generally the least liked of the books, likely because of length and pacing, and people don't aren't quite enjoying it because they went from a heist thriller to a political thing. And so I was conflicted. And do I cover it the way that I like, or do I speed it up just a little bit because I know that less people like it? And this week is kind of a, a victim of that in a way, where there's so much to talk about and luxuriate over. But I couldn't shove it into a different week. I couldn't adjust weeks to you know make it kind of be a similar episode length. Because this is already one episode longer than the Hero of Ages will be.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I like the way that this section ended. I could have seen it ending a chapter before. Like that would have been a good drop off point as well. But I really appreciate how it ended now. That said, I don't think I experienced that problem as far as pacing goes because of the format of the show in that I am just really digging into one little chunk at a time week by week. So, I think if something was boring though, you would be like this is boring. You know what I mean? I think it was boring. <laughs> I don't know. Because I could I could see sections of this of this book that if you were just reading through it quickly and getting like getting through it, it could be seen as boring. But we take so much time to dig into all the little facets of everything that I don't notice it. Sure. Okay.
1: I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I can, I can, I can definitely see that because you you fix it on things so much. But then at the same time, part of you is like, do you tear it down because you fix on it, aid on it so much? Like, would you? But obviously, that's not the case. I haven't. <laughs> part of that is our book selection in the first place. Yeah. So, and another part of it is probably
0: your sectioning out of things you tend to fuck with me and give me like cliffhangers and stuff.
1: I try, I try to dole it out in a, you know, in a, in a section that's interesting and leaves you, leaves you wanting more, but yeah, it would, so it would have felt weird for instance, to have, and had to have begun next week with the death of Zane, right? Like it would have felt really weird. And that was the only place that it made sense without going back and adjusting the first episode of the show, which had a good cliffhanger and then have like cascading effects on the length of each episode therein this is some baseball inside baseball so before we go too far deep today is our ninth episode discussing the well of ascension by brandon sanderson and we are going to chat about chapters 43 through 47 you wouldn't think that you know five total chapters would would be so long but we got we got a lot we got a lot to talk about
0: yeah there's there's so much this is by far the longest notes of of mistborn for sure Definitely. And I think most of Red Rising, there might be like one episode of Dark Age that gets longer, but
1: There there might be one or two there might be one or two episodes of Dark Age, and there might be an episode of Iron Gold or two. Because there was one section that I know was really long that took us a uh, motherfucker of a time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the point of where I think we almost broke it up into two episodes because right. it was like 250 and we had to shrink the audio quality a little bit to get it in to size.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. Or like
1: 315. I can't remember. It was super long. Yeah. yeah. So, that's the only th- that only competitor in terms of like so to avoid us spending way too much time talking about absolutely nothing that I have to edit in 24 hours. To t- <laughs> fuck, I almost read it again. <laughs> <laughs> first let's talk about what we're drinking pj <laughs> what are you having
0: so i i have this bottle of Lillet blanc that i've opened and don't know a whole lot of what to do with almost all the recipes i found called for gin don't have any gin because i drank the rest of what you gave me so i put together a recipe that i figured would work a little bit I, i'm doing it in parts because i I made it and I poured it and it was a little bit too small for the glass I chose. So I just made more and poured it in there. So this is in parts, but the initial one I did was ounce and a half ounce, half an ounce, but three parts rye, two parts Lillet Blanc, one part hibiscus liqueur, two dashes of Angostura bitters, a twist of lemon and a garnish of a lemon peel. So I am calling it the deposed king. It reminds me, for whatever reason, of Elend, sort of this cross-section of bold new king with the rye and this, like, intricate, well-read, well-spoken, sort of fancy man that is Elend the noble, the scholar. So, kind of named it after him and his current predicament, the deposed king. I like that. There's some tweaking that needs to be done here. I don't know if it's just ratios. I like the flavor combinations that come through. I think I would add some lemon. But I don't I don't think it necessarily needs to be a shaken drink. This is all stirred. Mm. Um, but you could add some lemon and almost make it a sour of sorts, weirdly. Otherwise, swapping out the Angostura for something like an orange or citrus bitters. I don't know. There's some reworks that need to be done with it, but I'm really liking the sort of backbone of this flavor combination that I created. So nice. If yeah. that exists somewhere, let me know. There might be a name for it, but I couldn't find anything like it.
1: I feel like the fun part is, is that once you get it fixed, you can come up with a new Ellen related name. You know what I mean? That's true. Like Tindwell, you're fixing your drink. And so, you know, yep. It's reasonable yep. right now. That's so. true. Back half beer, coffee cake, a Blondale
0: from Portage Brewing Company. Haven't opened it, haven't tried it, but I will, depending on if we need a little break from whatever we're talking about, I might, like, give a little first impression later on. Cool.
1: All right. That sounds good. What about you? What are you drinking? I am having... <laughs> Another so it was inspired um, by your cocktail because you sent it inside of the discord and we had approximately 10 minutes before we were going to start recording. And I was like, I was still debating what cocktail to make. And I was like, I don't fucking know. Okay, PJ made something up. I'm gonna make something up. So using my lemon that i had my pomegranate juice my simple stirrups that i had and a couple of other things that i obviously had in my liquor shelf i was like hmm what flavors mostly go together and i was like well you only have one shot because you have one lemon so don't fuck it up Uh, and and what i made is what i'm calling the blood on keep hastings floor um which (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> is is a brutal, brutal name. But uh it is. It is a very tasty cocktail. It's it's delightful. I would I would make one small tweak and I'll talk about that when I when I get through the whole thing. But the ingredients list as it stands is one and a half ounces of gin, half ounce of Campari, one ounce lemon juice, half an ounce of simple syrup, quarter ounce pomegranate juice, and then topped with seltzer is how I made it currently. What I would switch out or what I would rather tweak a little bit, is I would add another quarter ounce of gin, so one and three quarters ounce gin, just to thicken up the drink a little bit. I don't think I would put the seltzer in. It was only a splash. It was really just to try to make it a little bit more of a fill line, make it a little bit more of a sipping drink. I think it lives better as a smaller cocktail, but I would I would booze it up a little bit as such. I would also garnish probably with a Luxardo cherry or something like really deep, rich flavor that's gonna actually impart something as a like skewered garnish that you drop into the drink.
0: Okay. Any <clears throat> interest in sort of combining the simple and pomegranate juice and just swapping it
1: out for a heavy pour of grenadine? I debated that, but I wanted to play with the real pomegranate juice because I did. I do have grenadine. I have homemade grenadine. I could have done that, but I wanted to play with the pomegranate juice itself. That's fair. So I'm sure. I'm sure there is a varietal of this that you could make with grenadine probably okay pretty easily but as it stands you know this is this is acceptable this is mm. easier for most people than making grenadine because roses would not do you right in this you want that deep pomegranate flavor not the sweet yeah, almost yeah, cherry the, roses flavor that's what
0: that's what i mean like yeah i knew you had your own
1: right which if you haven't
0: made your own grenadine before it is very simple and it's very good yeah uh there is the orange blossom and rose water that you kind of you don't need it but it's yeah cheap and easy to get and it'll last forever because you use
1: like a drop or two and they come in 12 ounce bottles so yeah you're never going to go through it <laughs> yeah but yeah and it's really tasty really really proud of that one back half beer agent 77 ipa from voodoo ranger new belgium it's a new varietal you know i was just like fuck it i'm gonna grab it i grabbed it off the shelf i was not planning on having it on the show it was like a tried at home kind of a beer but um as talked about in our devil's cut i did not have time to go back and get other beer so yeah. uh here we are well, drink what's what's available just like my lack of other citrus assets on my one fucking lemon
0: mm-hmm mm-hmm
1: Cool, with that, let's go into our chapter breakdown. Oh, we're starting off on such strong feet here, PJ. All right. (laughs) With that, we start with chapter 43. This week starts off with the Vin watching over Ellen, feeling helpless and powerless to save this powerful, intelligent man that she loves. She sinks into this sort of solemn sort of loneliness, and you could really feel kind of her brand of hopelessness here. This book has done a very good job of portraying the sort of duality of their relationship of Ellen and Vin's relationship. And so last week we were very Ellen centric with her, him kind of lurking over her, you know, even while she's awake or whatever. And, you know, having that conversation. And now we flip that and we, we put someone else into the precarious position. So we're kind of playing this on off game of, of comparison between the two. Mm -hmm. But what'd you make of, of Vin to kick off the week?
0: Vin is in such an odd headspace right now. She is getting pulled in every which direction by different people and none of them are really positive, or at least she's not seeing the positives in any of them. And more than anything, I think the best way to describe her is just kind of broken. She is, she is kind of shattered and trying to like sweep up the pieces. It's
1: depressing. And (laughs) it just gets worse that way. It it does just get worse. It's unfortunate from a, from a reader's perspective it is so great to see characters go through tumultuous moments like this. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you have to even inhabit her brain for a second, you're like, that really fucking Come sucks on, for man. you, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so sorry, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, in, intense compassion and uh, sympathy mm-hmm. for, for Vin here for sure. Right. Yeah. And you know, like it, it doesn't, it's never going to get better than it is right now this week. <laughs> for Vin.
0: That's true. Like yeah. I feel weird saying that at this point because it's like this is a high note <laughs> weirdly <laughs> for, the, for the week. Yeah. No the strangely high note, enough. I mean the high we'll get there. The high note is her talking to Sazed, and that's still fucking depressing.
1: That's fair. That's fair. It's still it's still a little bit of a depressing note, but that is at the very least a little bit of a higher note. This moment, of course, is interrupted by Zane as he approaches and kind of spreads and repeats further lies, lies that our girl isn't taking really at all. She she's basically notes, uh, you know, there's no reason to necessarily trust everything that Zane says. And kind of wandering through that, he lies about Demu. She's able to suss that out. She's pretty sure that he's telling the truth about the one guy that seemed to be a part of Set's entourage. We later learn that this is also a lie. But then he really tugs on her heartstrings, convinces her to be her own knife, and go to Set. The line that not only hits closest to home for me as well as for Vin is, tell me, what would Kelsier do? Which gives... Off from Zane's mouth, the absolute worst version of what would Jesus do, especially given the story's religious undertones.
0: Yeah. So Zane is clearly lying to her, but I don't know if she's really sussing it out so much. She seems to really kind of have some blinders on when it comes to Zane and what he says, which might be. Contributing to her later sort of confusion and just sort of distress over what is love and how do you know you're in love with somebody and how Zane gets all wrapped up into that idea. You mentioned that the, like the the thugs that were in Set's entourage. Set reveals that he spent all of his alabasters in that first attack, and Vin never reapproaches that in our section she never dwells on it she never thinks about it she never like thinks back on it later on or tries to put any pieces together or anything like that that seems odd to me i don't know why i'm bringing that up now mostly because you you brought it up but she i guess i guess that's the point she kind of has i think she's subconsciously not critically assessing what zane has to say to her
1: yeah, and I'm I'm saying she's sussing some of these things out. She's barely doing it, right? She's listening to something that like Zane says, and she's saying that makes no sense. And then she's pausing and analyzing and being like, "Well, if Straff did that, that would only reinforce the fact that those assassins were his." So it's it's not as though she's seeing the pieces, but she's not aligning them even into an equation or associating them with Zane. She's right. like, "These are lies." and not saying anything about it like she's like identifying them as problems with the story but not able to push that any further or not choosing to and by and, with the story i mean with his story and actively finding justifications for the reason that those yes inconsistencies yeah. exist yeah it's it is a sticky sticky place to be in in terms of the kelsior bit with the what would Kelcier do <laughs> wwkd <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> would you Would you feel there?
0: I love WWKD <laughs> I think I think this is kind of a catalyst for a conversation later on with Ellen when she's like in the in the thief's out, sort of rejecting the idea of wanting to be like Kelsier and basically just saying I don't want anything to do with like his legacy to a certain extent which that's going to be fucking impossible to divorce herself from but that's a different thing entirely. But the idea that she doesn't want to strive to follow in his footsteps I think is a big step. And I think this this moment and evoking Kelsier's name leading to this onslaught that she's going to conduct is going to like I, I think that is a big part of why she comes to that conclusion later on.
1: Yeah. I I definitely agree. I think another thing to add into that is you know, we're, we're going to talk about Zane. Of course, this is his last week instead of the story. Um, <laughs> when we when we get there, ultimately, we'll we'll kind of talk about that. Allegedly, but Zane <laughs> Zane fixates on power a lot, right? So it's it's very natural. Even he even fixates very early on in the story, saying you know like he wishes he could have met Kelsier for for kind of similar reasons. So it, it's no doubt that like Zane's first move is to to use a projection of power that he believes that Vin would similarly respect not necessarily because of the friendship and the connections but because he thinks she respects power to be like what would he do you know and and sort of this is that connection between like power and the knife ideas right and so we see those kind of crisscross here
0: yeah he i like how consistent he is he is a very mm-hmm. consistent character But at the same time, that consistency breeds inconsistencies in a weird way Mm -hmm. that doesn't, like, this is the only situation where something like that would make sense to me if I were to describe it. But, like, the fact that I can't figure out his motivation at all when it comes to Straff and, like, assassinating him versus sparing him later on, like, a lot of it comes down to the voice of God in his head. I know, but at the same time, sometimes he like goes along with it. Sometimes he's fond of it. Sometimes he just pushes against it and I don't, I don't
1: fucking get it. It is another thing to consider. You know what I mean? Like it is very clearly because we're given Zane's perspective, it does lend us a very different view than even like the lord ruler in the first book like we never knew anything inside of the lord ruler's head and so being in someone who is technically is definitely an antagonist just gives us such an interesting and different point of view inside of this entire story and to your point his motivations seem opaque as hell like you think you get it but you're like i don't think i get it yeah yeah <laughs> well, because he he's very upfront. Like when he when he's when he turns down the decision to kill Straff, he basically says it's because you're my dad, and I'm I don't think it's right for sons to kill fathers. And yeah, because I love you. I think he says something like that in the moment too. No, no, he doesn't say I love you. I thought he did, but anyway, we'll, we'll get when we get there. We can we can address that more directly. But yeah, mm. it's still fuck. And to make matters worse we've got reen's whisper of course that crops up in the back of vin's head like a fucking trawling fishing hook why through water point? like what's that why wouldn't it pop up at this point of course of course yeah and and to quote that little section because I, I really enjoy this there are two ways to stay safe Either be so quiet and harmless that people ignore you, or be so dangerous that they're terrified of you. Vin, of course, takes her ATM from her wolfhound, uh, Orsor, who tries to talk her out of it before she makes a truly terrifying proclamation that she is following Zane to keep hasting. Yeah. Yes. Hastings. So regarding that reen
0: quote, mm-hmm. we get to see her do both of these things in this section. I don't know. She's that's a great call. Yeah. Less less quiet and harmless and more meek and
1: broken. She's she's like following through in recidivism basically and like strum, you know, going back there in the next chapter. So, yeah, no, I mean, great call. Yeah. But regarding the
0: ATM and or sewer thing or tensoon as we come to mm-hmm. learn later, a reread of this section really made me rethink what's going on here. And obviously I don't know if, I'm gonna continue to call him Orsor for the time being until until the reveal happens just because that's gonna be easier in my head. Sure. But know that like I'm thinking about both of them at the at the time. Does he know that it's fake ATM? And if so, is that warning her that, hey, this isn't real and you're getting yourself into a shitty situation that you're not prepared for, technically Or is he unaware that this is real ATM or that this is fake ATM and is warning her trying to convince her not to go through with it because because of other like friendly reasonings like either way I think it's a positive. I don't think that there's any actual manipulation going on here. I think that their relationship is fairly true to what we've been presented despite the imposter sort of aspect of it which i'm sure we'll get into that later when the reveal actually happens but it's just it's it's a weird change in like perspective in reading this section after understanding the reveal
1: yes so i i think in particular your you've you've got your kind of two assertions right you've got the idea that is she is he rather is or warning about the bead of atm covered in lead or is it more of a general warning and i think it's a general warning more than anything else but i can see it also being a warning about the atm in particular and like not to feel that safety net but it feels like first and foremost he's warning her because he knows about zane obviously is his contract holder and his master and is very aware of of what's going on there So I feel like that's more the warning, but at the same time, the proximity to him, to to her taking out the ATM makes me question if that's not also a warning about the ATM. Right.
0: I also think that this could potentially still be Zane trying to follow his father's orders, follow Straff's orders and try to get Vin killed. Mm -hmm. The idea that she wouldn't, wouldn't survive an attack like this without ATM. So, tricking her into thinking that she has a solid supply of it and that going up in smoke would be a really clean way to get rid of Vin and still be able to play some political chess with it. So, that's an, that's an idea kind of kicking around, but Yeah, again, Zane's that, that's Zane's motivation again that yeah. like what is what is true?
1: Zane's got four different ideas for how to bluff his way in or out of this situation and doesn't know which one he should be doing at any point in time. You know, like, he's got so many paths through this problem and is so dysregulated and messed up that he cannot... Piece together. And I think that's ultimately why he really looks to Vin as the sort of savior option because it is someone else to focus on and, and like love and someone else who will actually care about him and care for him. And I think that's why he ultimately gives preference there.
0: Yeah. Do you think that this was a test for her? Like, do you think I th- he
1: expected her to be able to get through this without ATM? I don't think it was a test in that way if that makes sense i don't think it was a test in the way of like getting through without atm i think it was a test to see if she would try to kill him exactly. like given the opportunity to do so which is why i think she gave him the fake atm because he's paranoid
0: yeah and why he was burning atm later
1: yeah why he's burning atm the whole time yep
0: yeah because I'm, I'm not trying to make an actual like assertion here i'm just i'm trying to figure out does he understand how strong she is because this seems to surprise her even that she's able to get through all of this, like this is kind of unprecedented, even in the realm of Mistborn, and she's not even burning Atium. Does he
1: know? I don't. Or is he trying to get her killed? I can't tell. I think he thinks that they can do anything together. Okay, that's
0: that's a very clean way to wrap that up. And yeah, I totally buy. Like,
1: that. and as such. Part of me believes that he believes that she is stronger than him. Or is at the very least aware of it, I think. But... I mean, there's the voice of God. Right. Which, let me sit on that for just a moment. Let's, let's just continue. When we get there. there when we get there, get, yeah. We're gonna get to yeah. a lot more. There's it's so much that I want to talk about out. with things that we've we've talked about previously. But we do need to get through this combat scene because this is crazy. And then we start mm-hmm. to get into some of the intricacies. So... But then, of course the killing scene starts, right? Vin and Zane tear into the night, starting off by killing Jarloo and nearly killing well in our POV as we see their killing spree truly begin. And we really see Vin unhinged here. She is a violent, different person in, in these moments. Just thinking about the way that she can just strictly become a, an absolute wrecking ball. She comes undone. I think in a really big day day in a really big way but at the same time she's really embracing this side of herself that her abilities her capabilities and they as a pair are absolutely chewing through like a giant fucking garbage disposal or a tree chopper some fucking grindy meat grinder all of these men all of them yeah holy shit dude (laughs) yeah just the amount of carnage is
0: fucking crazy, but what I really love is the way that this starts out, and Branderson's done this a couple times to us, but these short-lived uh fringe perspectives, I guess, like I guess not fringe, but these uh how would you call them they're they're perspectives within the novel, but they're not main characters. What, what would you call that? They're like tertiary
1: auxiliary. Yeah. Like it's, okay. it's really just meant to serve a specific scene, right? Like yeah. in my novel, I have a character who gets killed and in context to set up the scene for the other people. Right. So you see something like this so yeah. you can kind of see the action collide in a different way. It's very movie like it is. Yeah,
0: it is. And it, it gives us just enough information <clears throat> to really understand what's going on and, who this character is without getting too invested. He's a really well balanced practice and he's done it. What? Three times now, three or four throughout the book or the, the two books so far.
1: Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Especially because breeze we know hasn't been a one trick pony. He's been a critical point of view in this book, which That's is great. True. Which is super cool. Limited getting,
0: but. getting beyond that.
1: What a massacre. <laughs> holy shit yeah the way that she pulls the way that they also do like the back-to-back moment inside of the scene where they're like pushing everyone out like giant magnets as they like run through the room ripping people apart inside of their breastplate because of like swinging their breastplate around tearing the window frames down and smashing them and then twisting it turning it into them and then shoving them out a window yeah i mean
0: so That brings up something that I've been kind of wrestling with a little bit, and we get sort of a justification for it. I think just once. But this gets back to what are the rules? And it's been established that like you can't really like your strength as an allomancer is Dependent on your weight and your size. so there Your strength are, there
1: is are, a pusher and a puller. Right. Yeah. yeah. That yeah.
0: specifically, which is what yeah. we're dealing with here mm-hmm. almost entirely. Not not exactly, but I think it talks about Zane pushing against something behind him as sort of an anchor when pushing forward. So there's that, which is helpful in justifying this, but there are so many like really, really huge things being done that are way like doesn't line up with the current understanding of how that is and we know that vin is special when it comes to to her misborn abilities but that's that's something i wrestled with especially my first read through of it we get some more justification through ham's perspective later but
1: yeah, I think that's more relating in the in the later thing it's a little bit more relating to Pewter. But I think that often the story tries to do a good job of saying that she's like pulling against something, and then she does a lot of things, and then she like lets go and moves through the scene, specifically. Mm. I can I can definitely agree with you that it, it would be something that would be much more clearly visualized. I don't think she's breaking any rules here for the record. I think that it's it's trying to be very clear about her. That said, listening to it in audiobook mostly, you breeze through that stuff so quickly. And this is, to me, I think Brandon Sanderson's action scenes take the most time because line by line by line by line is so critical, intricate, and well-detailed that it can be tough to... the, The good part about reading versus an audiobook in something like an action scene like this is the ability to like just go back and like just reread the one line to make sure that you have it right i think that especially this section is the least clear that way versus a lot of the other ones it's true for sure
0: yeah. and like i said there there are some justifications and yeah cuz like when they're running
1: through the hallway they're like yeah. they're pushing off of each other as well that's an that's an implied thing that they're like pushing against those opposite forces and so they together mm. are moving down right um yeah and
0: this wasn't me trying to claim that like there was no. anything wrong or like off but it made me really think about the, like what's what's going on the one thing that i still don't have a super clear grasp on and w- we'll get to it later but when zane just pulls down the wall leading to the room mm-hmm. that sets in with vin and it mm-hmm. just like rips down from like around her and behind her that felt
1: different. I don't know why. It did feel different, didn't it?
0: But we also know that he has access to, to Duralumin. So there's that.
1: Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot to be said about not knowing that and then knowing that in post and being like, oh, okay. So we can see how how Zane could maybe pull some of this stuff off because he was at the very least a little bit more aware than we assumed and I think that the wall is a great example. of So, we even get to haze killers, right? And like haze killers are the thing that that Kelsier struggled the most with a couple of times in the last book. You know, like either bouncing around them or you know, literally like being contested by just a couple. And even that's like a dry mop, just fucking sucking up water on a floor. <laughs> like it's just it's a nothing burger of a problem for Vin. Um, you know, yeah. she she. I like I, I think I made mention of this already but when she burns and she pulls down that giant she burns her element, crushes them impales some men, the glass breaks and shatters against them and, and cuts up a bunch of them it's just awful in like a true sense of the word awe, like awe inspiring yeah. and then she shoves them out of that fucking room onto the ground and it's just like peace and just starts to pile the bodies outside, just yeah. oh my god
0: holy shit dude yeah fuck i think i think explicitly she says that Kelseyer had trouble with six and she just took mm. down 10 like it was nothing
1: yeah and there were 50 in the room were
0: they all haze killers
1: oh yeah 50 haze killers yeah okay like it was nothing yeah she's
0: she's a badass and this reminds me a lot of rogue from x-men
1: mm She's got a similar complex.
0: Yeah, like that's that's the thing that sort of popped up in my mind of like being terrified and surprised by her own strength and her own. It's a great call. The, 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 like like being kind of cursing herself for it.
1: Yeah. Right. This is that. I'm just sorry. I'm I'm absolutely struck by that comparison because it is actually super apt, and I can't believe I didn't think about it because. The X-Men, it's, that's my favorite comic book. I own, I have signed ones. Like, I love the X-Men. So, you're so right. She is, she shares so many of the insecurities and traits that Rogue does. And especially in these moments. Especially if you look at, like, the original trilogy of movies, too. That's, that's where this mo- even more directly lines up. She has a lot of those insecurities in the, in the comic books, that's, too. But that's primarily what my To the extent. Is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, regard to the, to the movies. Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah. Yep. Hmm. Good call, and then she does it. Jean Grey in a similar context too. Yeah, hmm.
0: but there's not Fuck. there's not the same sort of coming of age themes with Jean Grey as much as there is with Rogue.
1: Yeah, d- uh, yeah. In the in the original trilogy, I'm thinking about Jean Grey in general. But yes, you're right. Definitely sure. in the movies. Definitely in the mo- in in that series of movies. Cool. But then we get to the the description that for me. Sends a shiver up my spine when I read it and reread it and reread it. So, to quote here Men screamed and fell, Vin ripping through the ranks with only the belt buckle as a weapon. Before the force of her pewter, tin, steel, and iron, the possible use of ATM seemed an incredible waste. Even with it, she was a terrible weapon. One, until this moment, even she hadn't understood. Mistborn. And this like inverts that idea, that power structure. This idea that like this power is enabling in a way. This turns it into something horrific. You know what I mean? Was it even like it shows with it, it shows it or the danger without it? What was that? Was it even with it or even without it? Even with before. Okay, so before the force of her pewter, tin, steel, and iron, the possible use of ATM seemed an incredible waste. So even the potential to use ATM in this situation was just a waste. She didn't need it. Even yeah. with it, she was a. I think it's without it. You're right. I probably mistyped that.
0: Okay. Either way, knife feels like an understatement at this point. Like she feels like either a whole lot of knives or a whole lot of weapons in general, just kind of balled up together and like taped and just thrown at things. Like she's is, she is a, a ho- like a horrifying. horrifying feels wrong to say
1: because she's our protagonist i think
0: i think the term awful like you used before in the very little literal sense she's an awful weapon and it's intense it's really intense
1: it's it's crazy it is it is even without by the way yeah it just it it is more than intense it it really in the last book, the idea of being of Vin being a Mistborn was an uplifting thing where she was being kind of released from this sort of street urchin life that she had lived in. And she had all of these powers and had great access to abilities. And, you know, this feels like the opposite side of with the great power comes great responsibilities without being told that. Right. These are the consequences of not using these things for, you know, people's good in theory. In theory, this isn't that bad of a thing. Like the story kind of justifies it in its own way. But man, is it still three hundred people. Like, and given not all of those are hers. Some are some are Zane's. We can't, you know, what do you think the ratio it? is? I would go sixty forty. I was maybe go
0: like two thirds.
1: Yeah. Yeah about that probably closer to two-thirds you're probably closer to correct yeah oh, fuck but the the buckle in particular totally reminds me of like guardians of the galaxy right where it's just like the arrow is swooping through people
0: yeah so that's another thing where she has to be moving for that to work because yes like yeah. we know forward or backward
1: like you mm. can't zip it around like you can in Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, she could push and then pull and then push and then pull and then push. So she could like sidestep, right? That's kind of the
0: right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. She'd have to be like yeah.
1: moving around and like it,
0: it's a coordination
1: and really kind. of... It's, it's a mastery. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a proof of mastery. Yeah, it it isn't quite as you know simple as like the flute like movements. Of of the arrow. I said yeah. flute. I don't know. It's not, it's not a flute. He whistles, I guess. Whatever. Right.
0: I know I'm the one that just brought it up, but I really like that description of comparing it to the dances and how she's an adept dancer just based on her training as a Mistborn.
1: That's actually a good call. And again, brings up that kind of parallel problem, right? Like the, the general idea of there are these two sides to Vin. Yeah. Yeah, and they do interact and overlap
0: you keep calling um, it a problem I don't think it's a problem
1: well I think she just needs to not do this right <laughs> we can agree that this is not a good move I think she chose to be exactly the next.
0: <laughs> I think she needs to do this constantly this should be your day job no
1: well do no, I have a book for you <laughs> just kidding <laughs> so But then we get to set and man, this is one of the most terrifying moments that we see from Vin in this section in which she presses set to fight her. She's just off the leash, let loose this knife that she's convinced that she is by Zane and she's ultimately wrong. She almost kills this guy based on a on a bunch of preconceptions that she held. Um, I was with her. (laughs) yeah (laughs) right i know that you are and and neither he nor is is an allomancer i can't generidon 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 yeah neither he nor his son are allomancers and that leaves her in an awful precarious moral position given the atrocity that she she just committed yeah he's still a dick though so i don't feel that guilty about it yeah i mean like no doubt no doubt he's still trying to take over the city there's still like some issues he was still going to oppress the population because it would have been the best way quote Mm -hmm. best way for him to you know but revert he really
0: is just like a sad old crippled man yeah so that kind of (laughs) sucks like (laughs) it's like from vin's perspective like for from vin's position like that's a that's a Tear in the heart because that's her entire motivation for all of this was he's lying and he's hiding something
1: like, no yeah again it's trust in, in a way and like she really didn't have a reason necessarily to trust him outside of his word of which he had been truthful pretty much the entire time it was yeah. really just her skepticism that put her in this place Mm -hmm.
0: This is that conversation where he says that he sent all of his Allomancers forward that first time. Yes, right. And she never addresses the response, (laughs) you know.
1: Right, right. And she, she never really addresses it. And realizes that, like, Zane was lying and that, you know, that one Alamancer couldn't have been there. And I, I say realizes just very loosely, like it's brought to her attention, but she doesn't really internalize it. Like she was earlier. She, she's she got blinders on. She's got rage blinders on. And they just barely fall off in time for her to stop Zane from killing Set and Norden. And she finds out at the very end of this chapter that he had been burning Atium the entire time. Was that a little bit before? No, yeah, it was it was here. I think there's that some hints weird. that maybe it was earlier, but as well, like there's, there's a little bit of like, he's very adept on his feet and like matching her and it feels weird. But yeah, this is where it's really noted that he flinches because he's been burning ATM the whole time. How, how'd you read into the whole end of this chapter?
0: I don't, I, I think blinders, like we've mentioned that a couple of times. I think there's that there's rage, but there's also love. Or what she's seeing, uh, infatuation, whatever you want to In call it.
1: Affection. I don't think she ever hits love yeah. for him. Yeah.
0: No, but she she thinks she does. She questions it. That's what her old conversation with says it is, like trying to figure out whether or not this is love to a certain yeah, extent. fair enough. Right. And I don't know, like she's she's going to be racked with guilt going forward on what she did here, but I don't think because of the actual actions, I think because of what like, she's going to be worried about. And she's worried about going forward. What Ellen's perspective of her is like mm-hmm. what what he's going to see her as. And assuming that she's a horrible monster. And that's again, that sort of rogue comparison is where that comes from to a certain extent. As far as the A team goes, I have ideas. I really don't know what to make of them. One is that he needed it. In order to keep up with her and in order to actually like complete this, he needed to be burning ATM the entire time. Another idea is fear. Fear that Vin would turn on him and needing to have something in case she did burn that little bit of ATM that she had. It wasn't a lot, but it wasn't nothing. Like, it could have been used in an instant to overcome him if he wasn't burning it himself. I don't know. Like Those are a couple options. I'm sure I'm missing something. Or or, or just actually actively trying to kill her and trying to, like, open up an opportunity
1: to kill her and blame it on set, basically. Yeah, I, I feel like I fall into the camp of paranoia. If that makes sense. I, I feel like I fall into the camp of it mostly being his own paranoia. I think that so she's too. going to turn on him.
0: But at the same time, I think it could be all of the above.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no reason. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's as though he, he had his finger over the checkbox on the multiple choice question until the very last second. And he was just waiting to fill out which answer it is. And he's just nervously pondering, you know, am I going to kill Vin? Am I going to let her live? Am I going to kill her? Am I going to let her live? is she gonna kill me yeah right
0: do i need this like i think vin is such a special case like obviously zane is super powerful and unnatural compared to most mistborn but is he to the same level as vin no i don't think so and i think the fact that he's burning a team the entire time proves that and we already said like 60 40 maybe two thirds one third in vin's mm-hmm. favor of like how many kills they got it's not it's not said but that's just kind of the vibe so him trying to keep up with her at a like an, a, an amazing advantage in the realm of atm i don't know do you think he could have survived without it
1: i mean i think he could have survived the initial keep attack but i don't think there's any way he would have gotten close without atm in their regular fight the fact that she outsmarts atm we'll get there well, um I'm, I'm talking <laughs> yeah.
0: specifically in this keep fight
1: oh i think he probably would have been fine yeah he's he's experienced enough he's proven i think enough in other moments to be smart enough to read situations i don't think i don't think he would have had a problem okay i don't think he's burning atm atm to survive i think he's burning atm for an advantage and out of precaution okay so cool with that, we move into chapter forty-four, the second chapter of the week. <laughs> that was a long chapter, though. Yeah, right. That one, that one, I knew was a long chapter and had easily the most questions inside of it. Even though it was action-heavy, we talked a lot about the action, which is kind of rare because it made sense and had some interesting functional questions. So that we get into our logbook here, but must not even a madman rely on his own mind, his own experience, rather than that of others? And man, does this like not feel like it falls right out of the last chapter? Like this feels like it applies very directly to what we were just talking about. Like maybe, maybe a little bit, <laughs> maybe maybe a little bit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously it's talking about his brain and how Lendi has this eidetic memory, but yeah, but man, I want or Quan,
0: Kwan. Sorry. Right. Right. Does Kwan have the eidetic memory? Yes, it's Quan's
1: eidetic memory, yeah. Okay.
0: I don't know what to make of these logbooks yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure out if it's one text or two.
1: (sighs) I don't know. Okay. (laughs) So, we kick in the door on this chapter with uh, Breeze and Clubs talking about the strategic predicament they find themselves in, with Straff knocking on the door and the Coloss on their way as well. It's best to just stay out of the way and see what happens it seems
0: i love breeze and clubs's conversations their mm-hmm. interactions they're they're fun there's a little bit of tension
1: always but but like sexy tension you know
0: well i don't know
1: hmm. i'm just kidding <laughs> okay okay
0: okay i don't know there's a lot going on and i think they talk about sort of the idea i i think they talk about it a few times throughout this section but the idea that like this was always going to be the end it was just a matter of time so i think we really get to see who they are as people and see their philosophies and their thought processes i don't know i wish we got to spend entire novels in each of their perspectives you know <laughs> yeah they're such right. rich characters truly
1: yeah, it's it's a shocker especially considering where they where they kind of start in the first novel and then getting here and getting all of this extra, you know, content relating to them and all this these extra thoughts and kind of diving in deep. It does make but, you want just so much more.
0: But at the same time, throughout the like throughout both books their identity has remained
1: consistent. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We just get more. It's just peeling back that onion, you know, you know, unwinding the cake. Does one wind a cake? Don't try.
0: You're just gonna (laughs) get cake batter everywhere.
1: But if you if you spin it fast enough, it it unwinds, right? Like it like a like a Twizzler does when you spin it fast enough.
0: Yeah, and then you have a mess on your floor.
1: I mean I've never spun it fast enough for the Twizzler to (laughs) unwind. (laughs) <laughs> but the cake is a bad idea <laughs> do not spin your cakes so no but to your point it, it is, is nice because you, recording <laughs> i don't know man. this is what happens when it's been a long week <laughs> and it's tuesday yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really I really agree with you. I think that we get just this this added like depth and nuance, especially throughout this week, with Breeze in particular and a decent amount of clubs, some dachshund, and kinda of, we we get a little bit more on the crew consistently throughout this book. And that's part of the reason that I think that I I like it as much as I do is we take these characters of whom seem to serve this almost monkey wrench function in the first story of like teaching Vin something into something that they're and they're great monkey wrenches they, they they have characteristics and you can see them acting very consistently but in this book we find them to be full-fledged people that aren't just there to be that you know momentary teaching teacher for you know an allomantic art as it were right because ah. vin has nothing left to learn from them so now they're characters now they're people
0: that's oh man that's a good point but i don't think that's true
1: i'm not saying i didn't I, yeah no, I know. nothing I know. was I a little know. bit too yeah i know it was a little like, too extreme
0: that might be true from their perspective
1: right because they think her you know god to some degree not really but they're not that far from wrong true her, not not that far from
0: right i guess
1: true facts we jump from there to Ellen and get the body count that we've been discussing this whole time. At least three hundred <laughs> dead at the hand of two Mistborn taking on Set's army. I can't. I can and can't believe that Ellen reacts with that's not as bad as I feared. <laughs> Especially after Han says that the whole fight took ten minutes, <laughs> like it was. Oh, what?
0: So this like our only understanding of the amount of people at the beginning like first time reading through it we know 40 men right at the beginning as they aren't even visible yet they just slaughter 40 men with coins 39 they slaughter 39 men <laughs> <with> yeah <coins. laughs> and then 50 50 haze killers
1: or 50, 50 and all people. those men in the hallway right like the men in plate but we don't get a number there yeah yeah or, that's ninety. So I guess it makes sense.
0: About three hundred. Yeah. That's a lot of people. hmm That's a whole lot of people. And also, this made me start thinking about like how gruesome everything actually is, because it's it's coins going through people's brains. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not just like clean bullet holes. There's dismemberment and splattering everywhere.
1: Yeah, there's some there's some definite sloshy sloshy of fluids going everywhere. <laughs> How everywhere. much blood do you think there is? Oh, I mean at least enough for one <laughs> eight ounce drink. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, everyone, a reference to my cocktail name once again. Blood on the floor of keep hasting, but no, I. That's such a great question, and the text does simultaneously a good job and not a good enough job for me in terms of the, the visceral description, but it's gotten, it gets better in this section and even in Zane's section a little bit later inside of the tent, I think really kind of, yeah, gives a little bit a little more weight to the violence,
0: but it's still very much talking about the action as opposed to mm-hmm. the result. Description yeah. And result. Yeah. Which I'm not complaining about. Honestly, I really like the way that he writes action scenes. it just, kind of dawned on me how actually gruesome everything would be here.
1: Right, right. And it's it's like that synapse connects and you're like, "Oh, that would be really bad." Like this mm-hmm. if if you imagine this as a movie, it's like, "Okay, so if you seriously depicted the way those coins go through a body, this is R-rated." Like this is this scene you're telling, gives yeah. you
0: like everything else could be literally care bears. And this scene is <laughs> bordering on like beyond R (laughs) yeah this I'd like to see it I'd like to see it adapted though because I feel like it I feel like they would take the route of most movies when you deal with like a lot of violence and it'd be people getting shot and falling over without really the right yeah you could yeah it'd be it'd be carnage by numbers not by blood
1: (laughs) right not by gore yeah yeah I I totally agree with you, and I think that they would do flashes of of blood and things like that, and moments to make it impactful. But I don't think that would be the mainstay trick of the show. Agreed. but they should. I think a violent Mistborn is a great Mistborn. Yeah, like as in, and by that I mean not a physical Mistborn, but a violent something that portrays this properly. I think you know. I think. you Can you imagine? In order to really get the weight of how Vin feels
0: at the end of all this, I think you need. A horror show, yes. I, you don't need it. This, That's, I, I'm, I'm over exaggerating. You could do it without actually being that gory. I don't know if you could do PG thirteen, but you could probably get pretty close.
1: This is where I think the book. This is where I think that TV ratings. And movie ratings are so far off from each other that is shocking to me. What like TV shows can get away with versus what a movie can get away with with PG thirteen to R versus TV TVT versus TVMA for mature audiences and whatnot. Like you can get away with a lot more violence on TV than you can get away with in a movie. Is that and just that is like jarring establishment,
0: to me. like establishing of rules mm-hmm. being so much more well defined with with movies than different
1: organizations yeah it was it was a different code before broadcast code was really worked out the it was in the 30s versus the 60s so
0: okay
1: yeah gotcha. code anyway point being this is where like a tv show would would shine in in making this moment like crop up and be very dynamic and and direct and horrifying in a in a real way wherein the rest of it could live in that like pg-13 space you know Mm -hmm. but in a movie you kind of have to adhere it's like all or nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, anyway, argument aside, I agree with you. I think that this should be treated, though, as a horrifying moment, be it even just from the crumpled bodies on the ground and Vin, like, living in that after each kill for a little bit, or maybe after the whole thing's done, and you know?
0: crumpled bodies, even crumpled bodies on the ground feels too sterile for what's happening here.
1: Like, it's, Yeah, right, because you know? I imagine people getting the fucking iron bars twisted up their bodies and coming out of their mouths, you know, like...
0: I can't imagine most bodies are in one piece.
1: No, right. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. No.
0: And there. Uh, I don't know why I'm complaining about this. This was fucking awesome.
1: No, I, I don't think. Like, I don't think we're complaining. I think we're we're talking about the difficulty of adaptation. Like this yeah. is. We're we're not we're not complaining about the scene or anything like that. We're saying you want to you want to make sure that you somehow capture the same sense for an audience that we feel in the book for Vin. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. I don't think we were complaining. Okay. So, yeah. We also, I just want to briefly mention Ellen's internal monologue here. Even in the small bits, really shows that growth that we've been talking about and how his demeanor has been impacted and how he reacts to the group's reactions and doesn't want to, like, stoke their individual reaction by overreacting to shocking news. And we can also see that why his reaction is a bit tamer in the end here is because of that little beast called love, because he still loves her despite all of this, and, like, it's very understanding, and trying to, you know, he's got, he's got the, he's got rose-tinted glasses on and doesn't realize that it's actually blood-tinted at this point, splashed <laughs> flecked with the blood of many haze killers. <laughs> <laughs> there is
0: a certain amount of composure here
1: mm-hmm.
0: that wouldn't have been here without Tindle, obviously. And I wonder how he would have reacted to this news without her you know like i think he he stays really calm but his inner monologue is clearly showing sort of this deep-rooted growth that is directly a result of Tyndwall's working with him i i don't know I think he's way better equipped to handle something like this now, but I don't know what he would have thought before. Genuinely, like I'm, I'm tr- racking my brain trying to think of like how would he react to this news as like Ellen as we knew him in the first book. Any any thoughts on that? Any ideas?
1: Ellen from the first book versus Ellen now and reacting to the situation with Vin. Yeah, yeah. I'm just making sure my brain's parsing this yeah. correctly. So I feel like. Ellen in the first book
0: or I think he would have reacted this book even
1: at the beginning okay at the beginning of this book you know regardless I, I think either way we can we can see especially when we think about even near the end of the first book in the way that he reacts to her power in those moments when she's fighting the men and saving his life after she saved his after they've kind of saved each other's lives his reaction to the powers is one of shock but that shock as we've seen time and time again throughout this book, doesn't change how he feels it's just a capability it's it's like something that she's able to do not something that defines her and so i think that that hasn't really changed even though vin's perspective has brought it into question a couple of times does that make sense so i I don't feel like i feel like the the reaction here is one more for other people and not one for himself Uh, I think that he really his feelings for Vin haven't changed If anything else. They've grown and he wants to be he wants to also try to maturely represent those in front of other people, which sometimes making is like making ridiculous claims like I thought there would have been more dead bodies. (laughs) Does
0: that answer your question? No, it does. Totally. Okay, but that at the same time, that makes sense. Thinking that there'd be more considering he has a thousand in the city with him. Yeah. So where are the other six, 700?
1: Well, right, right. And I, I think that ultimately they end up walking out of the city or, like, making it out of the city for the most part. But, yeah. 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 I mean, if I were a set soldier and I heard that 300 of my men died, I would go anywhere the fuck else. <laughs> fuck that shit. Yeah. Two people Against killed two 300 people? people? What? Two people? I'm no. going to go join the terrorists. Fuck I know you. that I am go the wrong... On. I am the wrong ethnicity. I have no terrorist blood, but I'm going to go try to live there. (laughs) I know that it's mountains. I know that it's cold. I don't care. I'm taking my sword and I'm going home. I wouldn't even take my sword. I'd leave my sword just to ensure that it didn't get pulled through my neck while I'm trying to walk out of the city. (laughs) You know? Good point. (laughs) I would take off all... Like, that would be the first step, all metal gone. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on Ham's skepticism regarding Vin being able to withstand blows that she shouldn't have previously? We, we kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier in sort of the,
0: yeah, we did mention this. So this, this answers, like I said, the, what are the rules question for me? Because, because it solidifies contextually the idea that Vin is extraordinary when it comes to allomancy and that, other characters are actively noticing that she is bending the rules of what they thought was possible and we kind of get an actual like we we understood that we already knew Mm -hmm. that she was something else but we get sort of the more tangible picture of how far that goes through through him here so that's what i really appreciated about it i didn't realize how small she was I knew she was small. Didn't realize, like, under 100 pounds small. That's crazy. That's a small person. (laughs) Yes,
1: it is a very small, live girl. Goral. 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 Yeah.
0: Killing machine.
1: Yeah, they say, like, 100 pounds wet or something like that, right? I feel like... I think they just
0: say under 100 pounds. Okay. So, like, I'm I'm the size of that... uh, Not quite, but... That almost three times her size. I'm making assumptions of like how much under a 100 she is and what they mean by almost.
1: But yeah, yeah. it'd be like me fighting a child and losing. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And the child kicking the absolute shit out of you. Because at this point she's 18
0: is i she think only 18
1: now i think she's only 18 now yeah was she 16 because it's been about a book? year it's been two years two years yeah i think she was 16 in the first book if i remember correctly this was like 24 know, 26 now right. i think yeah, he was 24 he was in the first now. book i believe I so, book. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of times that would have been saying on our show over <laughs> over the, <laughs> the years at this point is fairly is i just there, said years is which is untrue
0: to that show i don't think there is i feel like that would be that would cheapen
1: it a lot if there was an actual theme song to that show so she's got to be between, I think, 18 and 19 in that range. With the way that time passes inside of these, it's a, it's a little bit hard to tell. We do finally get, I know that we we were talking about this last week for a little bit longer, or maybe two weeks ago, like how long has it been? And I think when we're in Sazed and Tindwell's chapter, they say like two months or three months or something like that, of total time, or like two months that sazed has been back or something like that. There's some clarification on time that yeah. gave me a perspective that, okay, it's not just a couple of weeks, it's definitely been a couple of months. So. Right. Of them being under siege. So anyway, we also this is just kind of like a fun thing, and it's I mean it's important, of course. But we also learned that of uh, Josti's deceit to the Coloss and sort of the society and sort of the civilization that we were talking about, or their civilized nature is they're being manipulated through that of fake coins that he had made of heavy wood coated in gold leaf. Because who, boy, they want to be human, but they can't. They can't pick out real coins. <laughs> that's
0: that's fucking hilarious that's so funny (laughs) it's gonna be a problem yeah that's Uh. that's something that future josties is gonna have to reckon with (laughs) (laughs) Um. future
1: josties problem not current josties
0: problems whatever josties finds himself with pulp brain that's his problem
1: (laughs) pulp for brains yeah Definitely. Also, yeah, I, I am sh- blown away by the whole Josti's equation. How dare he? Also, understandable. <laughs> how dare he? <laughs> yeah. How How dare How dare he? How dare he? Yeah.
0: I mean, it works, though. It's working. It's
1: working actively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if anyone... I wonder if any of them are going to figure it out. It's like... Yeah. All right. hand they so, scripted it off with a knife. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> they might not pass... In like street vendor stuff, but ye old Chuck E. Cheese might take them if they're the right size.
1: Ye <laughs> old can play Lord a lot Ruler of cheese
0: of arcade games.
1: Well, that that was the other thing, right? The currency had actually made it to the city. This right. this fake currency, so like yeah. it had been exchanged, and people hadn't really questioned it. I guess. <laughs> like,
0: I mean, maybe that's just the fake scrutiny currency of, gets circulated in the U.S. Or, like, it's true. People are dumb.
1: True. Yeah.
0: Or more <sighs> people
1: are actively swindling people. Right, which is the alternative. It's one. But the you other. have
0: to have dumb, pe- dumb people in order to do that. So.
1: Did you want to uh, make a more grandiose statement that painted uh, Americans as unintelligent? This wasn't only about Americans. No, no, true, 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 <laughs> true, 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 true. I mean,
0: <laughs> I reference the fact that there is false and fraudulent coinage and dollar billage in circulation. But that happens everywhere. And true. Uh, idiots are abound.
1: Very true. so shows up grabbing Ellen's attention in this moment because he has found her in Cayman's old hideout. Finn's been missing this whole time. And wow. When we arrive in that scene, she is really, really broken in that moment comparing herself to that awful man. And she says... You know, she's, she's thinking about, because this is, you know, Cayman's old hideout, even though it's not explicitly necessarily said, we get the story, it's in that abandoned part of town. It's definitely drawing that direct connection. It's kind of that homey familiarness. It's somewhere that she knows and and feels maybe not safe, but she can recede back into that part of her life. And she says, you know, that when she was killing those people, it was like a, a room or a child in a room full of bugs
0: I think, so, you mentioned sort of receding. I think it's important to note that she is actively, like, keeping watch. She's at yeah, the people. Right. So she is, she's gone to a place that she knows to be hidden and well-disguised, and she understands how to keep watch within it and is doing what she can to, like, stay hidden and mm-hmm. avoid everything. So I think there's that, but you're right. At the same time, she is one to sort of regress, so... I think a couple fold there as far as her decision to go to this specific location. In general, though, it's such a tragic read. She's in a, a well of despair at this point, and I think our scholar king is in a uniquely perfect situation to deal with that and to talk her down. So I appreciate that he's the one there to to get her out of this because it could have easily been Orsor finding her and sort of talking her out of the out of the location i don't think that would have gone as well so instead he went and found ellen which i think is the right move
1: i think so i think i think i agree with you i think the only other person who would have been even a reasonable call would have been Sazed, Correct. but i think that Orsor knew ellen is the right call and what's so it's not immediately intuitive the first time that you read it, of course, because you don't yet know that Arsur and Tensun are the same person. But you do, I do get this hint in a reread and kind of this, this recontextualization that Tensun knows that Ellen is caring. Even though he's not perfect with his treatment of the Chondra in the past, as we kind of discussed last week and his, his positions on the Chondra, he knows that he's better than Straff and he knows that he's a good person, and he knows how much he needs to Vin. And so as the compassionate friend or Sora Tensun, goes and gets the, the person that she knows she needs. That he knows that she needs. Right. So yeah. I just yeah, I really, really like, like that. You know, I this I, I really While we're in this scene and in these kind of dark moments that we're going to continue to talk about for the rest of this episode, for the most part. After that, Vin is kind of crumpled up in the corner near the peephole, like you're saying, and Vin tells the story of how she got the earring to us. And to quote the the little thing here, she says, Did I ever tell you how I got this? She asked. He shook his head. My mother gave it to me, she said. I don't remember it happening. Reen told me about it. My mother she heard voices sometimes. She killed my baby sister, slaughtered her, and that same day she gave me this, one of her own earrings, as if, as if choosing me over my sister, a punishment for one, a twisted present for another. Beyond this kind of brutal reflection of death, she talks about the kind of other death of everyone around her, and wow, this is a hard moment to like even really kind of pin down and pierce thematically and reflect on because it is so deeply, profoundly troubling for her with everyone around her seeming to just die all the time and her being unable to rectify that. And I don't
0: think this story really provides us with any additional information to what we have, but we get context and we get sort of the, all, all the pieces of it put together. More so than we had before. Yeah. What's troubling for me, though, is how much knowledge that she has of her like early life that is entirely based on secondhand accounts from Reen. Like, she doesn't remember, obviously, like she's just saying, she doesn't remember her sister being right. killed. She also doesn't have any actual memories of her father, and she's trusting that the man that Reen pointed out is who he, who he said he is. So there's just something, there's something there that's scratching this untrusting part of my brain. I don't know what to make of it yet, but I know I don't, I I think there's something missing there when it comes to Vin's actual like memories and her actual backstory, whether or not it's like true to what she knows.
1: I think that's sounded reasonable. I think that's actually a very realistic thing to come away with here. And like you said, this, this isn't exactly new information. It's just I think a lot of information that we've gotten over time condensed down into a digestible paragraph and, and kind of presented to both us and Ellen to give us a to give him a more full picture, but also as readers, we get a we get a complete picture in case it had kind of slipped their minds. Or it in case it seemed fragmented just to kind of clear up, you know, it it serves kind of both purposes to the point on the scratching that untrusting corner of kind of your mind. I mean, I agree with you. I I think that like, that's, that is the most troubling thing about Reen is that he taught Vin to not be trustworthy, trust other people. But at the same time, he himself demanded to be trusted as, as God effectively.
0: But she hasn't, question that in post either
1: no right right not really
0: because so much of it is her entire like backstory and identity how would you go about pushing against that
1: it's i mean i i think to be fair i think that she has pushed against it i mean i think especially in the first book with kelsey and everything else she's she's she is very directly pressing against that and trying to bury it but and that's that's her untrusting self, but not necessarily as reen as the source of that mistrust and untrust, if that makes sense. Yeah. I to the to the point of all these negative thoughts that we're talking about, I really enjoy how Ellen tries to deflect all of them, and especially considering that he's technically Holding right now in this room, the closest thing that this world has to a living war criminal in his arms. But you know, he's he's also I I think really correct in these moments. They were enemies, so there is a political justification, but not really a moral justification as far as Vin's able to see it. You know, at this point, like she under that that damage is very different, and he understands that, and he's trying to kind of work her through that it It's even furthered when she brings up Kelsior into the mix and adds to that a comparison between the two, right Kelcier acting like a god doing whatever suited his interests and doling out you know punishment, judgment, uplifting, you know doing kind of whatever he wished and wanted, commanding respect and worship but she she doesn't want to be like that, and so this feels this feels wrong, and we get more reflection on this later when we get to Krieg Shaw again, but yeah. I don't know. What, what'd you make? So sort of
0: the idea of Kelsier being sort of treated like a God, that bouncing around. We, we've touched on that a little bit, the WWKD, all that stuff. I don't know. I guess I don't really have a ton externally to add to this. I think this entire scene, what it does for me is really prove a sense of transparency for the both of them for both ellen and for vin and these characters become so real and so complicated through this section and i am insanely invested in everybody in the story at this point so fuck you and thank you for getting me into the story i guess is the crux of my point
1: that's that's fair and i am i am also sincerely glad that we are we are reading this to which i also have to point to our listeners for pointing me to make sure that i read it and then voting for it in the first place so thank you all for for pushing us this direction we've quite enjoyed it clearly and are continuing to i mean we're committing to like another year of branderson after this point practically um more i think maybe a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) let's see uh depending on how all of those the the big chonky boys thick out but by that i mean another year it'll actually be two years of brandon sanderson by the time we're done which wow if you would have told me that i would be covering brandon sanderson for two years 10 years ago i'd have been like no 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 No, he's not he's not yeah no he's not your sauce but here we are now we're here ho 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 how the turntables So there is that moment of trust. I I do want to, I do want to at the very least make sure before I move on with as, as it pertains to Kelsier isn't necessarily a question, just a statement that I want to make sure that I kind of get out there is I think that this section more than anything else solidifies her kind of denial in some ways of his legacy that she's, that he's left her, right? This book starts with Ellen and Vin being the heirs to the survivor, right? In in kind of multiple contexts, we've seen uh, we've seen Ellen forced out of his throne via political means for trying to be a good person, do it the right way, and do it his way. Meaning that he kind of lost his side of the heir of the survivor. Now we see Vin actively embrace what was kind of left for her, and then denying it because this is not what she wants to turn herself into and she definitely doesn't want to leave the the extra judicious religion that we don't even have to talk about but right yeah just want to make sure that that i i feel like this is where that kind of comes to a head to some degree when she's really kind of broken in this moment and really voices deep down true desires right yeah yeah i'm with you yeah so the the moment of trust that Ellen places in Vin beyond being critical to her decision making later in this section is truly I think a miraculous bit of storytelling that I love because it just it's just so perfectly believable that in this very vulnerable moment she asks this vulner this this question that is coming from this absolute bottom position of her life seemingly and ellen's response is you know i I trust you again a a reinforcement of that and it's just man
0: seriously dude yeah i don't know what kind of inspiration branderson was like facing when he was writing this section of the book but i don't know what kind of headspace he was in i can only imagine how much weight he was carrying around for like Throughout the process of writing this section, there's there's so much reality here. I don't know I don't know what it is. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm taking it on in a much more heavy way than maybe he did, but it just feels like it's written in such a pure and real way that I have trouble believing that there wasn't something else pushing that along whether it's synthesized and like he's putting himself into that headspace in a certain way, or if there's something that happened in his life or that somebody was putting on him that like allowed for that outlet through this book. I don't know what it is, but it's magic somehow.
1: I I think, you know, and I don't, I don't know to your point about Brandon's personal life and how he's kind of bringing that in here and how it does feel very magical and like it captured a moment. For me, it reminds me of the grief that one feels when like a parent dies, in in theory. Again, I, I haven't experienced that, you haven't experienced that, so like we don't really know, but this reminds me of that similar emotional breaking point of, of sort of like truly being so down and so... You're reduced to your basest emotions your basest response that this is truly some of the best writing in the in this in the, in the book series so far like it is astounding yeah. and to your point either brandon branderson who hurt you or uh, you conjured magic yeah. well done <laughs> so great great work i yeah could couldn't have said it better love love the way that you phrase that so all right Vin has come to the realization in the meanwhile, while here and being uplifted by her boyfriend <laughs> um, that she has to head north to terrace and without confirming or denying that she seems that this seems to be her indicating that she thinks she may need to take action at the well of ascension. I say that precisely because she doesn't she's not saying that she's the hero of ages. she's not. Even suggesting that necessarily, but she does believe that seems likely, <laughs> it seems, without I putting mean, it into she's, words.
0: She's physically being drawn that way. Like, even if it has nothing to do with an idea of being the hero of ages, she is being physically drawn that way through that beating. But in general, I'm so excited for the journey there. <laughs> like, are we going to see something similar to the logbook? From Vin's perspective, is she going to start writing something? If so, is it going to be word for word? And am I going to be retroactively right in that the logbook from the first book is actually Vin? (laughs) And it's this weird time loop thing. No, not actually. But I really do appreciate that A, she asked Ellen to come with him, and B, that his response is so true to his character and everything that he's been presenting so far in this book in that, no, I can't leave because even though I'm no longer the king, this city needs me. It's very Batman of him, but I think... It
1: It is very Batman of him, yes. In
0: in a less vigilante kind of way.
1: I mean, in a kind of vigilante kind of way. You think what he did to Josties, and you're like, kind of. (laughs)
0: Maybe
1: the vigilante
0: politician
1: right right and I you know I think I think you're right I think that it does make sense and I think that this feeds into what we see happen in chapter 46 where says gets everyone on the secret letters right and like brings them all together is because he knows the nature of of Ellen and he knows the nature of what's going to happen so right I think that's at the very least a part of the case so with that, we we end the scene with a decision around the beat of ATM and Orsor choosing to hold it for Vin. Who boy, this shit hits a little bit different later. <laughs> like the fact that it it only does if he knows that it's
0: fake. We still don't know that.
1: It's it's not even just that it's fake. It is. That's definitely a part of it. It's it's whether or not he knows. That's that's definitely an element. But I think it also hits a little bit different because she needs access to it and he doesn't show up when she needs it. Right. And so like she's giving away this tool and she's afraid of it being yanked off of her. So like I I get it. I get why she goes this way. It's just like there's there's a double edged sword to the betrayal. Right. One betrayal is is Tensun or sore and one is Zane. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fucked. Kind of kind of fucked of with that we move into chapter 45 we got our logbook here to start it off i know what i have memorized i know what is now repeated by the other world bringers D- do you have do you have any of those thoughts do you have any i think what in-
0: it what it evokes for me is just the idea of how much says it and Tind- tindle are pouring over these texts and Effectively trying to memorize everything. You're getting kind of a
1: meta read on it that way. Yeah, very much so.
0: This this feels bitter. It feels tongue in cheek. I still don't know quite how to read Quan in general, because it feels disingenuous now. But there there's a there's a bit of venom, a bit of poison to uh to what he believes now, or what he what he was preaching and that's permeating throughout like these little snippets okay
1: all right yeah I, I think that there's there's definitely something wrong with Quan it appears right or like some some bit I think I think poison is even a good way of putting it because there's something that is bitter here in Quan as though especially even though we only have two sentences here I know what I've memorized I know what is now repeated by the other world bringers those are conflicting statements seemingly. Given the other context that we have, they're like conflicting yeah. statements. He yeah. thinks that they're repeating in it a falsity. Yeah, yeah. Not. I'm not saying as though they're directly conflict. Like they're not. But given given a little bit more of the other context, we can get a feeling that he obviously doesn't believe the other world bringers, and that's not new really either. So, mm-hmm. any other thoughts on the logbook? What's
0: tripping me up is the term "what I have memorized." You know, like. That seems off compared to what we've been talking about before, where he is proclaiming something. This is him talking about something that he's learned and memorized. So I don't quite know what he's talking about.
1: Okay. Yeah. I feel like you could sum up most of your reactions to the logbook in this book as I don't know what he's talking about. That's true (laughs) because
0: I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, right, I don't, yeah, fuck yeah. All right, so moving into the chapter, we have Sazed and Twindle having been working day and night and night and day trying to work out exactly what is going on with this prophecy here. Twindle having made it nearly a week based on her stored wakefulness, just absolutely burning the candle through their metal mines. <laughs> but, you know, mm-hmm. what'd you make of of this little like tidbit here, which I think is really interesting to the power of Faragemi.
0: I mean, a week is such a long fucking time to stay awake <laughs> and it's true. still be functional. So they're obviously tired here. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't be? But I'm curious how how this wakefulness functions. Is this something that's sort of covering up in ever progressing and still existent fatigue? Or is this like pausing The development of that
1: fatigue and sort of giving you some more time there Uh, so knowing the rules of ferrochemy right the the rules of ferrochemy are generally store something to use something later right so they store being tired I'm not assuming store sleep but like being tired or exhausted um, so that they could be wakeful later
0: yeah they store their energy Mm -hmm. if you want to call it that sure they They store their let's use their term they store their wakefulness, so they spend some time being tired mm-hmm. more than they would be otherwise in order to like capture that,
1: yeah, I so that I, I don't i guess i I'm, don't
0: I'm more talking about the sort of mechanics of how that gets applied. is it over the top of the fatigue, and that fatigue is still growing, but you're just like covering it up with more and more wakefulness, or is it like Fatigue stops growing as you like use wakefulness. And then once you're not using wakefulness anymore, like you just continue to,
1: to develop the fatigue. That is a good and interesting question specifically because we know that strength can be burned disproportionately, right? Like you can burn a ton of strength that wants to become incredibly strong and burn through a week's worth of supply of, or like, you know, a week's worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. You, you can burn Farakemi at different rates. So you've got a little bit more of a rate control. So that's a great question because I wonder what the equivalent on that sliding scale is for wakefulness. That's a yes. that's a great question. I did not considered so, it that way.
0: The way I'm thinking about it is like pewter dragging. Where yep. like you're covering up how exhausted you are. And once you let go of the pewter, you're going to fucking
1: drop dead. I don't think it's that intense. I do understand exactly the comparison that you're drawing. I think that it is closer to... It's somewhere in between. So it's like the fatigue... It's not like a fatigue pause. Because eventually when you stop burning wakefulness, you are tired, right? But it is at the very least an incumbent uh, divider, if that makes sense. like it's It's going to divide down a little bit, a lot more. I have a feeling if someone maybe were burning wakefulness for a month or two let's say just for extreme comparison they might feel an incredible sense of fatigue not completely similar to what you're saying but closer i think To i think over the course of a week it's more of like a if you pulled an all-nighter for 36 hours kind of a thing based on the vibe that we're getting from yep. you know say it's snuck in a nap that so from an energy
0: coffee and popping adderall for the last like yeah week. right
1: right pop an addy kids at home don't pop Addies <laughs> mm. unless they're diagnosed in which case uh follow listen to your doctor not your uh, drunk friends on the internet that's true so fatigue you know it's a thing so what do you think about Tindwell's assertion about sazid and dead religions being something of a delusion given their kind of arguments back and forth where do you land on on the conversation that they're having inside of the texts
0: yeah so i think there there's Certain aspects of that conversation that I agree with, with both of them, from Sazed's perspective, I, I agree with the idea of religions are an expression of hope and that hope gives people strength. I think that's a very noble and reasonable and completely understandable stance to take. I think what she gets really hung up on and what I agree with her on, because it's, it's for a very good reason, is that he... He asserts that he believes all of them, and I can get behind the argument that, that all of them are important for the exact re- like the, for that exact reason that like it gives hope and hope gives strength, like it's all important. I don't understand how that crosses into genuine belief, though, and my one justification for that is that from his perspective, if somebody anybody believes it they aren't dead religions anymore i think that's yeah yeah so that's my that's my take on it i guess
1: i i agree with you there i i want to i want to say a couple of things here um one the the quote that you quoted the religions are an expression of hope and that hope gives people strength i think is one of my favorite quotes of this book it is a very strong quote that explains why people believe in religions in general, but also is kind of a core of this series as we've learned is that religion and prophecy therefore through in inside of this world is profoundly important, especially through one of our protagonists says it. So we still get Lord ruler being used as
0: yeah, as an exclamation from most of our, characters. I swear.
1: Right. So, so faith, faith is critical inside of this novel and in various components To your point on the dead religions, right?
0: Which, what that's what she refers to them as. Yes,
1: right. Yes. Yep. She refers to them as dead religions. I think, I think you're also entirely on it with the idea that he keeps all of these inside so that he can mention them to people so that he could potentially find a way to console one person. And he has all of these ways to console people basically on on different problems or give them something to believe in when they're hopeless because there are so many different systems and answers out there for people and that's why i find this section so interesting is it's interrogating the idea of false hope or like it's not exactly false because of the way that it says it like portrays his belief but tinwell believes that it's kind of giving false hope cuz it's like they would maybe the religions would still exist maybe they weren't true to begin with and there's there's these sort of questions which is why she's like rather than interrogate that question i try to directly address things that are physical real tangible historical and it makes for such an interesting dynamic between the characters and that's why i love this little argument of course i love it i fucking love talking about politics and philosophy and fucking religion no,
0: totally understandable. I think oh man, I had something.
1: I had something right there. There's so right. much here, man.
0: I think we can we can safely continue on. We will have so much more to talk about. I'm sure. So, yeah. if we feel the need, we can reapproach this.
1: Okay. And then we arrive at the book that they've crafted unbound here on the ground and desks between them. Kind of, you know, like we said before, it's mostly paper that's been strewn about there and books open because they mostly are scanning their copper mines and maybe the things that they've since written down. And to quote here, it is the most important thing that Sazed had ever written, and it's been damaged. Every single copy of that one sentence right at the very end has been damaged and removed by something, regardless of it being on the on the rubbing that's inside of the, the chest or the three different copies that they're laying out on the ground. In all four places, it's been removed in exactly the same spot, in exactly the same pattern, no deviation, no deviance between them. That sentence, of course, that has been removed is... Elendi must not reach the Well of Ascension. He must not be allowed to take the power for himself. So, that said, this feels like ample prediction time. Yeah, it does. I need a call. What, who, or how was this done? So,
0: the fact that it's so
1: perfectly done, like
0: you mentioned, exactly the same way on every copy, I don't think it was done by somebody mortal. Or corporeal in that sort of way. Like, I don't think it's, it's a. am not going to say human, because we know that there are other species of intelligent life around. My point is, I think it's that creature that Vin sees. That entity mm. that Vin sees in the mist. I think it's related to that. And I think, I think potentially it's a motivation. It's a way of not discouraging somebody for going going towards the well of ascension you know
1: like when you say not discouraging what's your what's your intent there are you are you saying when, that i, I guess by removing is, it they're discouraging by, or by
0: no by it existing sure it's giving pause to the idea of somebody going and taking up the power at the well of ascension like it's it's giving sort of a a sense of trepidation or of sure danger associated with like uh, an existential danger associated with going and taking up that power.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I get it. It's, it's more of a, a way to
0: like, if this entity were, for example, wants Vin to go to the well of Ascension, this passage could be something that could tell her, maybe that's more risky than I want to take
1: yes right right by I, by removing at, it and yeah. demarking it yep totally okay obviously this is a prediction this is a tough yeah. thing for me to talk about obviously this has implications yeah. of course um, it does. abounding so, so i am doing my best to contain every and all reaction my first uh, read through on this mm-hmm.
0: i absolutely believed that there'd be like a gap like a corrupted data section on Sazed's copper mind in the same spot I thought it was going to be
1: like that. Does he check the oh, copper
0: mind? That's how he. That's how he understands what it actually said.
1: Okay, I don't. I think I don't
0: remember. Yeah, because because that's how he is able to quote it. He's like, that's
1: what's missing. I thought he yeah. just quoted because he read it so many times. I thought it was the copper mind, but you might be. You might be correct. Sorry, one second. You're looking it up. Let's not reach the well. So. Real quick, what he says is, and yet, how could they have, how could they know so little of our abilities? I have the entire transcription stored in my metal mind. I can remember it right now. What does the missing sentence say? Alendi must not reach the well of ascension. He must not be allowed to take the power for himself. So it's in his metal mind. It is, but he's not accessing his metal mind to pull that out.
0: He says, "I can read it right
1: now. I can remember it right now."
0: Okay. So is remembering his brain or his metal mind because it, it like that implies to me that he's using whenever, his metal mind to remember.
1: Whenever he's gone into the metal minds for the most part when we've been in his, in his perspective, he has to go through the index first. So this is something that okay. is front of mind. Okay. So it's possible that that's still a corrupt like removed
0: piece of information.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really what I was kind of getting at is that I didn't want to disprove that theory. Yeah. I was trying to reinforce the idea that, you know, so even,
0: even with that quote, that's how I would read it as though he was reading it through the metal mind. But I think you had a good read on the first read was kind of my, I appreciate the way that you are sort of not shooting it down, but giving a benefit. out,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think my point is never to be the arbiter of truth around what you're saying specifically, but sometimes the reason that you're arriving there at the very least to make sure you have the proper basis of information for your assumptions, which is the only reason that I would go back and do something like that. So for sure, I think your assumption about the corrupted data is one that you could make in the. Most gobbledygook way of working around our bizarre relationship inside of these books. How else does one explain what's uh, what's going on? So we move on from the sort of scene of the studying and everything that had been going on there and the confusion. And Vin arrives and she and says it have a very frank conversation of course, I really enjoy her friendship. I also really enjoy how she ushers kind of, she's like get Tinwell out of the room. And this comes up as kind of a recurring bit throughout throughout this chapter. But I really 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 adore their friendship and says its compassion for Vin is really second to none. I'm personally very glad and I really find him to be much more of her father figure instead of Kelsier. I think Kelsier like the the Proper reading on this, to me in my head, is Kelsier is like the Obi Wan who isn't really dad. It's it's more of like a, a kind of teaching you the ways, even if sometimes the ways aren't, aren't perfectly correct. And Say's it is more like an adoptive father. But I think it's Sazed easy to is think Anakin, yes, and Qui Gon Jinn <laughs> at the same time. They fucked. It's fine. <laughs> The force Ghost fucked um mm-hmm. for the record, not the not anything else, sure, yeah, right, yep, but yeah i I just think that the the whole the dynamic there it shifts and it it really becomes more apparent over the course of this book, and you know I think you're you entirely right, and this is something that I hadn't actually put my
0: finger on, but completely encompasses what I felt about sazen the idea that he is the father figure to then which she's never had ever like her, the closest thing that she had before kelsier which wasn't a great father figure to begin with was Reen.
1: and f- fuck that noise right right <laughs> i mean yeah and and kelsier by comparison feels like an older brother like kelsier very much feels like an older brother or yeah, yeah.
0: Or like brothers. a mentor Probably figure, closest. you know, But if we had to... Yeah, yeah, but not not in a fatherly way. Right. Very right. explicit, like, not explicitly, but very... It's a very different
1: authority figure than yes. a father figure. Yeah, that's a great way. Great way of kind of adding that little flourish of phrase, because I think that you do need that that turn to really explain that. Says it, the reason that Sazed is this father figure is because he listens to vin consistently and is always there always ears open and then in addition to always being aware of her perspective and always listening he also spends a lot of time giving her advice but not always not in a way that's confrontational like more of like offering up information which i think is is something that a lot of like people can benefit from is instead of educating or like pushing education on someone instead of just offering up information being like, this is a perspective. Mm-hmm. Think about the perspective. What, what do you think about the perspective It feels more fatherly than what Kelsier was doing, where, it felt more like training. It felt more like giving guideposts to someone for, for them to follow. So that feels less fatherly. I think. Yeah. To me. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Sure. Cool. Vin's words about her and Ellen really cut deep, I think. And I, I don't even know where to begin on the pain side of things. Even the comment about the type of man she feels like she deserves that she sees in vain, in, in, or not in vain, in Zane. It just kind of gut punches me I it, because it 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 it. Ellen was just there for her in some of in in like a massive way. And obviously that's what impacts the end result of what we see from this week. But it still feels so struggling to find the right word. It feels she does. She's not neglecting it, but she doesn't feel deserving of that kind of attention. Right. She doesn't feel as though she's earned that reality the reality that she actually has so yeah this this is a hard thing to parse but in in terms of the conversation around zane and relationships uh from vin's perspective what did you think
0: i think what it did for me most i mean first of all important bits of conversation to have like right more than anything super super important but what it did for me is really refocus My perception on Vin, I think I mentioned this before, like her age, she is young and very inexperienced in relationships and adult life in general. So she doesn't have any healthy relationships like in her, in her experience to lean on and like compare to. So it's, it's just important that she gets to talk about this with somebody who has some sort of external thoughts on it i guess i don't know i don't know the best way to like make that conversation work but
1: yeah well and it's it's like that real adult in her life right like the the real person who can kind of ground her in reality because she doesn't have the sort of socialization she hasn't had like real socialization in her life she doesn't have she's never had a like crowd of people to support her, you know, the whole, like it takes a village thing. It has taken, a, taken a village to help Vin and raise and change Vin, but still only been, you know, at best close to two years at this point, since, since Vin started to make these serious life changes. So, you know, I mean, I, I think that this is kind of a, a critical moment um, for her and for, you know, the, the two of them. I really love Sazed's answer here in the end. He he says, you must love him enough to trust his wishes, even if you disagree with them. You must respect him, no matter how wrong you think he may be, no matter how poor you think his decisions. You must respect his desire to make them, even if one of them includes loving you. So
0: I keep thinking about that father figure comment. Yeah. Yeah because that didn't really pop into my head until you mentioned it, but that's so encompassing here and so perfect here because he starts this conversation talking about how he's not an expert in like, this isn't his realm of expertise, Mm -hmm. but she trusts him and she's basically like, she comes back basically saying like, as far as I can tell, you know, everything. (laughs) Right. And I, I just love this. I love this man. I really do. He's such a cool character, and this gives him sort of the emotional depth that we've needed from him as well. Not that we were lacking it, but that's what his motivation is more than anything is emotion. There's duty, of course. But we've talked about that before. like he kind of justifies shirking that duty a little bit for emotion. And for feelings,
1: so I don't know. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love him. No, yeah, man. I I really like that you brought that in with with Sazed regarding his his choice actions that he's made kind of over the course of the series, right? Wherein he has often chosen to be emotional where he should be logical. I think is critical and I think that's some of the that is a big component of difference even if you just compare and we don't have many other ter- we don't have any other terrorist men really to compare to but between Tinwill and him like that is a massive deal. And I think that also has to do with his focus on religions, right, on the whole versus maybe some more grounded studies that the keepers have to keep. So, I think that's all kind of interconnected and related because he he is less focused on survival of this knowledge and of the people he still is but he he's less focused on that he's more focused on thriving he he wants people to be alive in their lives like he wants full lives for everyone that he knows and meets so mm-hmm. yeah cool Vin departs and Tindwell re-enters the room and is quickly, (laughs) quickly, comedically ushered out as we get to hear Ellen's side of the conversation. We basically get this like nice flip-flop effect that happens, the seesawing between the two where we get to hear, we got to hear Vin's point of view before she leaves and then we get to hear Ellen's, he remarks, he being Sazed, remarks that his scholarly friend has been replaced with a king which I just think is kind of a lovely little note from him. <laughs> Thoughts on Ellen's musings?
0: I think just this section in general, I guess. My, my favorite part of this is how well juxtaposed it is against Vince' one-on-one conversation with SaZid. There's a little bit of comedy to it, especially when it comes to Tindwell. But then there's the sort of irony when it comes to the fact that both of them are madly in love with each other. And they both feel like they aren't what the other person needs or wants. And there's this self-conscious sort of undertone to both their conversations. And being able to see both of those side by side is really nice and frustrating. It's like, just fucking talk to each other, dude. But daddy says it'll take care of everything, man.
1: (laughs) I. I don't think you're wrong. I just feel like Vin is a little dodgy right now. Of course. So I mean what it's, do you it's mean not right that now. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Fair point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we, we end cap everything with Ellen's perspective with comedy in that he gets to like call out to Tindville on a just on a hunch that she's behind the, the door mm-hmm. listening.
1: So I don't know. Yeah, he gets to kind of a dresser in kind of a jokingly way, joking way, which is just lovely. Yeah, and it, it, I, I think that's just such a lovely moment, especially because we end the chapter with her like walking back into the room, patting herself on the back, and you know, says ultimately trying to find a way to get both Ellen and Finn out of Luthadel, penning these rapid letters that we see go out very quickly and kind of guide us into the next chapter. So that's a point that I completely missed on my first
0: read-through. Was was the fact that that idea of getting them out of the city was here, like that's mm. where this started. And I think it's just because so much happens in general through this section. I just it,
1: this is the week of so much happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. But
0: read books a couple times, everybody. You'll catch a lot of things. True. You'll. you'll Sound smart like Crossland, (laughs) you'll make dumb, off the wall predictions like me. You know
1: what's strive for Crossland. What's wild to me is that you, by the end of each of the books that we we will do and have done, I appreciate the strive for Crossland comment. Don't get me wrong, but by the end of each of the books that we will do and have done, you will have read them multiple times, but you will never have the experience of rereading them until you actually go back and do one complete another complete list that's true you know what i mean like you will never have your full spoiler context until you actually choose to go back completely through and and reevaluate so you may right i know so what i'm saying is you you may like listen to and physically read a book five to six times a week or what have you and actually only have had one experience with it you know what i mean versus i think people that i think people that reread it or two one or two because you do have some like you have some points where like the second time i read it i got a little bit of a different thing yeah but that's still within the
0: context of it is totally still within the context yeah
1: definitely definitely no question so i guess the the point being is that you won't get a reread experience until your fifth or sixth read of these if you ever choose to go back for a fifth or sixth read of the same book
0: it's wild.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I just wanted to, I was like, I was thinking about it. And I was like, I don't know. Technically speaking, if you want to, if you want to really get into it, you have technically read these words more than I have often. I just have cataloged brain memory. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not it. <laughs> yeah. Yep, <laughs> but it might be true. Yeah. Cool. Chapter 46. The logbook here is pretty easy. The two are not the same. And the two, of course, that they're talking about this is the shortest fucking logbook in the world. The two are not the same. The two that they're talking about, of course, are the log books from that we were just talking about in chapter 45. I know what I have memorized. I know what is repeated by the other world bringers. The two are not the same, which is just reiteration, you know, of what we were basically saying before for the most part. So, right. There is something wrong with the prophecy or something maybe. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, there's a discrepancy.
1: Yeah, discrepancy is the way to put that. So. Cool. We talked about that already. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move on unless you have other thoughts. No. We move into this chapter with a gentle Breeze point of view. Uh, <laughs> and right off the motherfucking bat, there it is, finally. Jesus, I can't believe this isn't cited anywhere in any of the wikis. I'm gonna fix it myself. But Breeze admits to being a full-blooded noble. And this is where it becomes a full textual thing. I know that you and I off-air, I think, had talked about, like, Brandon does have a hierarchy for things. Book text is always first. Words of brand or annotations are second. Words of Brandon are third, effectively, in terms of hierarchy of canon truth. And given we his original thing that I brought up all the way back, and I think, like, episode five, is right and true and proper. It was brought up in the wrong spot because of paying attention to those notes. So regardless, we now know we have this full picture of Breeze as this full-blooded noble and competing, as he says, in a very different atmosphere and having a very different life because court life, while containing luxuries and none of the sort of immediate penalties of, of sort of being born as a ska, it does still have some negatives associated if you fail at court meaning like generations of of poverty down the line still not as bad as enslavement of which i he admits to a couple of times but he does say at the very least there are consequences for being poor at it so he was raised in a very competitive environment but now i think we can really kind of have that conversation that we've started and stopped having for a very long time what would Kelsier do if he had known okay
0: so i guess i guess first of all i want to address like if we hadn't talked about this before, I think this would have come completely out of left left field for me. Like, except for what you had told me, I had no inkling that he was a noble.
1: So, there's that. But anyway, kind of brought up. It's kind of mentioned in that chapter, but it's not. It's that chapter where says it refers to both Ham and it's it's the Lord thing, right? right? That we that we've talked about previously. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah.
0: I just. Wouldn't have put any weight into it. Got it. In general. But I don't think Breeze would have been a part of Kalsier's crew if Kalsier had known. And I think that's frankly kind of all that would really change. Our story probably wouldn't be very wildly different. There'd just be a different soother in the crew. That said, I think that he has become such an adept soother... Because of his upbringing as a noble person, he he was able to spend time honing that ability. So finding somebody as as well-versed as Breeze is would have been a tough task.
1: Yeah. Okay. So to to the point of what you're saying, I agree with you. I think that if, Kate, if Kelsier would have known that on the front, it wouldn't have changed the story that much. But if he would have found it out instead of his own crew, do you think it would have impacted his opinion on nobles? Which was really kind of the, like, if he found it out in the middle of the heist, given his high propensity for not giving a shit about nobles, do you think it would have shifted his opinion? I don't think it
0: would have shifted his opinion of nobles. I think it would have shifted his opinion of Breeze.
1: And therefore would have given maybe a lens to view Ellen via what Vin was saying back in Mistborn 1, where she was like, not all nobles are bad, because Kelsier and Doxon were of the opinion of all nobles were bad.
0: The opposite. Like, he would have dropped any caring for Breeze in general. Oh, okay. All right. Like, maybe not actively kill
1: him, but... No, okay, you're, <laughs> I thought you were going the other way with compassion. No. All right, I mean, yeah, no. Kelsey, yep, all right, cool. Kelsey would have killed Breeze, got it.
0: No, I, I don't think he would have killed <laughs> no, I Breeze. I think he wouldn't have done any, like, I don't think he would have ever gone out of his way to save him if he was in hot sure. water, though.
1: Sure, after he found that out. Yeah. Okay, all right, that, that makes sense. I just wanted to, you know, at the very least add clarification now that we've got a firm, solid flag that we can plant in the ground. So Right. I want to just bring up there's this little bit of clever writing here that happens instead of this chapter. So he'd come to believe that he wouldn't have to worry about intra-crew conspiracies anymore. Kelsier's crew was an almost sickeningly tight group, and Breeze did everything within his alimantic powers to keep it that way. And I love I love the little like twist on everything in his power to keep it that way. Like that's you know, like that's that is a classic <laughs> phrase inside of writing in his alamantic powers to keep it that way it's just like a nice little so what i take away from that that's plural it is isn't it <laughs> feels like a mistake alimantic everything within his alimantic power to keep it that way Hmm. or breeze is a mistborn that is the alternative. All right, that wasn't the point here. I just wanted to point out that Brandon <laughs> is occasionally punny, and this is a great use of, okay. you know, a clever turn of phrase and turning it into something that is not cheesy and, in fact, a really funny use of, you know, a mm-hmm. common turn of phrase. So Right. I want to give him credit, but you're you're not wrong. But this plural. is the <laughs> problem. Right. right, right, right. Okay, so moving on from there. Breeze... Receives a hastily written letter and quickly goes to Sazed's side, fearing a potential trap, which is quickly revealed to be just a couple of people hiding from Elend to discuss the situation about him. And, wow, the crew has some heavily varied opinions. The sort of disharmony we see here is certainly something new. We've always talked about the way that they like drink together and have all these you know different moments, and it's always camaraderie and joyous, but this is truly like a bunch of instruments playing wrong notes in a room together
0: yeah more than anything we see a pretty new side of dachshund I think like there, there's the comment on jealousy of Ellen getting the the throne and after Kelsier's gone and he's certainly asserting himself in a way that kind of counter to everything we've come to know about him in the past like he does back it up Everything he talks about, he backs up with justification that they can't let Kelsier's legacy fall to ruin. But he talks about like joining Straff, right? Straff or Set?
1: I can't remember. Oh my god! What is? I I think he's talking about Straff. Yeah, and double check here. But continue.
0: But I mean, regardless, even with the justifications, this fell off enough okay straff this felt off enough from what we knew about Doxon's character that during my first read-through i absolutely believed that this was pointing us to believe that Doxon is the imposter and that there's like a subtle push that's becoming a little bit less subtle now because they're kind of in crunch time like that's the sort of vibe i got off of dachshund in this read-through or on the first read-through rather
1: definitely and i i think that that is it's it feels intentional especially because of the way that we in every other case have been, had like firm proof but with doxson was the most emotionally driven proof right because if we think back no to there yes not only is there no allomancy but there like we're given the example by Orsor at the time of which we now know to kind of be i mean he's probably telling mostly telling the truth but at the very least we can say confidently at the very least wasn't being completely honest about everything that he was probably intentionally misleading her about Dachshund and the amount of studying that could be done to pull something off. So this is a great mislead. And I also think is a complex read of Dachshund's character because we know that he's not the imposter now and shows a different side of the man under stress and under pressure. Yeah, Completely. Completely different dude. Very much behaving in a very abnormal way. So, so we, we move on there from the part of the plan that is stressing everyone out, which is that Straff has came to the conclusion that clubs and breeze were talking about at the, on the wall far earlier inside of the book. The, the moves that Straff is making is setting up the city to fail by him decamping to, to leave them open, to be attacked and ransacked by the claw, Coloss. And jeez is this a heated conversation our answers range from you know let straff have it to let jostys have it to fight and die and man does clubs get his moment in the sun here you know he gets like almost a page worth of of dialogue in in his moment it's really this moment of pride reminding us of what kel would want the crew to fight for which i think if nothing else anyone could agree that Kelsiers. Idea of what should be done for the benefit of the ska. Everyone in the crew agrees with, so they're all on that mm. same page. Right.
0: It's all chaos, regardless. Yeah. Right. I, I think that's kind of indicative of the fact that there's no real good way to go about this in general. Right. Like, the city is pretty inevitably going to fall here. Club's speech, though was so inspiring and so like uplifting in a morbid way like it's not saying like we can overcome this it's saying like yeah like i know what we're facing like i understand what's going on but the sky have hope now and you can't take that away from them more or less Right? That's this speech? Or is that a different speech? No,
1: that that is totally this speech. I just wanted to give you space to say anything else, if you had anything else. Yeah, no, this is a powerful, powerful moment in which Clubs and Sazed also kind of reiterate these ideas back and forth, right? And Clubs uses the base of Kelsier, and Sazed uses the base of freedom and tyrants, right? And we'll, we'll kind of get to that in a moment, but man, I... I adore this is why this book is so good to me is that it spends so much time lingering in these ideas of the sort of longer term consequences of a rebellion and the leaders of the rebellion itself. Like what what where does your responsibility as the leader of a rebellion? You don't just get to throw something over and then, you know, you have to you've given it everything. You have to give it literally everything. In order right. to potentially watch it succeed, be it in the short term or the long term, either way, right? So, agreed. man, and and then Sazed makes the point that we haven't talked about much that we've broken the system, like we're saying, but that it's not enough that all of the people have changed. It's not enough that everyone has flipped their mindset, as we've seen in the Outlying Terraces and kind of everything that's been going on there. Tyrants are settling in small fiefdoms, even if the even if this primary machine that was of oppression that was destroyed when the lord ruler died someone even though this primary machine of oppression was destroyed someone had to start that revolution someone had to ignite it and now we're all about the follow through this is this is about making sure that this continues to succeed wherein everything else had failed and they, like Kelsier before, will be martyrs to show that you can't hold the ska, the terrorists, the oppressed people down forever. Yeah. I don't know why, but this section right here made me
0: maybe you can help me sure. understand this a little bit, but I got really claustrophobic here. And I don't quite understand why. Like there there's a glimmer of sort of nobility and honor. When it comes to this sort of section, but it's mostly just kind of crushing, and I, I don't get why I feel so confined by it. But like, it's just this, it's just this little chunk.
1: Well, I I think it's because a bunch of people are making speeches before their castle is sieged, right? So like. Yeah. It's it, there's there's this combination of feeling like they're the pimple that's getting excised by these armies on either side that's going to squeeze them out. That's a disgusting metaphor, but I think very accurate. But it's true. Yeah, like it's, a- as well as like the the idea that these speeches are going to go and these ideas maybe even directly are going to go unheard and are instead going to need to be interpreted by the masses. And that's another dangerous thing is like. If you don't put it in writing, if you don't say it in front of people, if you don't actually inspire people with your actions, instead you're just talking in a closeted room, no one really knows what you stood for. No one really knows what what you are. Right. So I think that that's another reason that I feel claustrophobic inside of the scene is, you know, you want to, you hope that everything that they're saying and doing here actually makes it out to people (laughs) and doesn't just die on the vine. Good point yeah because there's a lot of pressure making sure that it actually occurs, so yeah, they settle on something else though that this wasn't the reason for the meeting as it stood it was a good it was a good session where they got to talk about the goals that they were striving for, but the ultimate reason as to why the meeting was called was sending away the four people most likely to make an impact outside of the city and into the future that of Ellen vin tindwell and dear little listabornis and this is this is a tough call i i think that each of them have different reasons as to why they're being picked i think interestingly enough ellend has the weakest reason which is that there's no way that vin leaves without (laughs) ellend you know like ellend doesn't need to go if it weren't for the fact that vin wouldn't leave right if they had let everybody into the meeting yeah
0: how many people do you think actually would have gone
1: Tindwell, I think Tindwell would have probably not necessarily. I, I think she would have stayed for Sazed. She's that's that's not untrue. I don't think you're you're wrong there. But I do, I can at the very least see a reality in which she would choose to leave because she values preserving the knowledge for the people over yeah. everything else. I so. think she would push back and then hear the argument and understand that like she's kind
0: of in the unique position. Though, so is Seizid. Like it could right. be either one. be? I don't think there'd be any way to convince Elland to go. I think he no. would stay, basically, no, no matter what. Yeah. And Spook, I think, would protest a little bit, but I think ultimately
1: would go when, when pushed on it. I, I think, in part, at the very least, Vin would go just strictly because of the thumping in her head. Yeah. I, think I think she so is so too. motivated by that that she would she would have to head out. She's already shown, she's already talked about it on her own independently that she's motivated by that. So, yeah. Then, from there, from that moment and that decision, we hop to Vin. And we've been talking about her struggle all week, you know, for this whole episode. But we really see the struggle come to a head as she debates what must be done while walking around Kretik Shaw. She's debating a lot as... She makes it into the good old poopin' room. <laughs> uh, she's
0: having a pretty not good time. No, all no. this, not at all. You could probably call it shitty. So,
1: when I saw this note, I hadn't put together the poopin' room and shitty joke, and now, now I have. <laughs> now, yeah. now I have. That's that's great. Yeah, you know, yeah no, I've she's got
0: shitty in italics underneath your notes.
1: She is, you know, she is having a very shitty time. No, well well done, well done. Yeah, and, you know, I, th- I think that she's contemplating a lot of these things we talked about this week, and this is where we really start to get through internal monologue and exploration of this. We get an exploration of the thumping and the pain and things like that going on inside of her mind. So I don't want to spend too much time here, but any other thoughts on the monologue? No, I think I think we can keep, keep buzzing through we've got a lot to cover i know but you know at a certain point what do we do so you know she's contemplating a lot in that room including why the lord ruler would choose to settle where he did as opposed to where his people were as well as the well of ascension was the well of power you know that he was kind of drawing from was but she's, or that he appears to have been drawing from was, but she's still left with that key decision that is raking her soul, Elend or Zane. Ellend or Zane. Do you have any thoughts about the Lord Ruler and where he's settling and why? I have a theory and I sure. think it has to do with Vin's
0: feeling of the beating. Okay. I think, I think they're in a position that's kind of the farthest you can be while still hearing it. That's sure. my guess. Something okay. like that. It's as far away as possible without getting out of the realm of influence of whatever is there.
1: Being a problem. Okay. Yep. All right. That That's an interesting proposition. I, I dig that. So We then flip to Zane, in which we hear the warnings of God, angry and demanding for him to kill some assassins who are trying their best to get to him. He, of course, dispatches them readily and easily and makes his way to Strath and spares him.
0: Yeah, this is that Zane motivation thing. Like mm-hmm. what the fuck is going on between him and God in his head? <laughs> um like sometimes he's he's just fighting against him like anytime well I guess sometimes he ignores him altogether like anytime God tells him to kill somebody for the most part he doesn't. Then sometimes he poisons his father. And sometimes he pardons his father. Like I don't know, it all just kind of builds into the theory or into the into the tragedy of Zane to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, like like you said, it's it's this tragedy of Zane, and it's this idea that he he states in that moment that it's like the only reason that he doesn't kill him is because he's he's his dad, and like killing his dad, he thinks is wrong, and you know you you have a tough time disagreeing with him on a fundamental level but at the same time you can you can feel something deeply incorrect with him there i don't know it's it's tough yeah yeah, he says, because you're my father, a man shouldn't kill his father. And then he even says inside of his internal monologue, with that, Zayn bid a final farewell to the man who created him. A man whom Zayn, despite his insanity, despite the abuse he'd known over the years, loved. And that's okay. That's the toughest okay. part of that relationship. Is so, like
0: There's something else in that sentence that I think we need to go over, especially when it comes into play with the spike through his chest. The man who created him does not necessarily mean siring him, but could still be considered father, much like the Chandra considered the Lord Ruler father.
1: I don't think that's a crazy stretch. I do think that this is... So you use the term sire specifically there, and I, I want to like dial into that just a little bit. The term sire is, I think, kind of how zane is evaluating this it's like the lowest tier it's like the lowest tier of like being responsible for someone's birth because this is sort of straff's mo right it's like just having a bunch of kids it's like Mm -hmm. he is he is his father but at the same time he is he hasn't been inconsequential in zane's life but ultimately he hasn't been of much of a positive impact he hasn't been much of a you know He's been an influence, I guess, so that's even tough to say. But I, I do I do like the reading between the lines of the, mm-hmm. maybe there's something about the spike in the chest mm-hmm. there, too.
0: Well, my my other thought and the implication that I'm trying to make is that Zane is very clearly a powerful Mistborn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. More right. than most. Not more than Vin, but more than most. Probably more powerful than Kelsier was. The idea that he's not Straff's biological child if I'm following Mm. that thread means that his bloodline isn't as pure as it could be and therefore isn't as much of a threat or as much of of a consequence to the idea of like producing more Mistborn that could pose a threat to our heroes. Okay. Okay. that's that's sort of like the yeah the extension of the threat i was going
1: on sure sure it's more about the the long game with straff in his reproductive decisions less the immediate game with with zane correct at least it's partially the immediate game with zane but it's more about the the long tail of uh straff okay all right and that's
0: this is also the existence the existence of the spike paired with the fact that he was burning atm for 10 minutes potentially yeah is that spike atm generally? i don't know i
1: don't know do you know no but that's a
0: <laughs> <thought.
1: laughs> uh, that's kind of the the entry level here isn't it cool all right So, he makes his way into the woods and finds his old discarded cloak, some old ATM, and we finally understand why he never wore a mist cloak. You've mentioned it here, not because he was different or trying to bury the fantasy of being a mistborn and make himself something else, but because he was never comfortable in a mist cloak, which is the most fucking inane reason to not wear one, but also genius like it is simultaneously
0: it it can be both though
1: well i i'm not saying that i'm definitely not saying that it isn't both all that i'm saying is that it is as a reveal one where you go i would have never thought that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know? yeah, that's true, and and it's like oh i would have never believed and then you think back to it and it's like yeah that would be hella inconvenient <laughs> especially <laughs> as he describes it like scratching out the back and that's all because he has a giant spike through his chest yeah and there's only one other group of people that we know have spikes through them and they're they're fucking inquisitors
0: yes they are and they also have the power of misborns without being born to it so feeds
1: into your maid thing
0: Yep, yeah, exactly. Cool. Is the crux of my made thing? Like that's yeah. the point right, that I'm trying to make. Right. Or that's this is one where of we the arrive. That I'm there. trying to
1: make. With that, we move into chapter forty-seven. Logbook here again is compounding over the last couple, so this is just adding to the last two that we've already read. Alendi believes as they do. They, of course, here in this sentence structure, referring to the world bringers. And believing in the prophecy that Quan himself disagrees with, so and he reads i mean this is this feels pretty straightforward it's it's nothing crazy, but it is at the very least a sort of affirmation that Quan believes everyone is wrong. Quan is certain
0: Quan is certain that seems to be certain that everybody's wrong based on information that he gave and put forward like it's <laughs> yeah
1: it's, it's him <laughs> backtracking on shit i don't know Well, it is, it is him backtracking on shit in part because he didn't want to denounce the attention you know when he was first doing it so that's that's what's so it so hard to track with kwan is at first he was like i believe that i was the thing and then i realized that i was claiming attention because i sought attention and now i realize that i've misled everyone potentially <laughs> into believing said thing and now literally everyone believes it, including the guy that I've called, you know, adam and, and the, the like Christ figure.
0: I mean that's face value though. That's not what yeah. we, like we know more context than that, especially when it comes to Rashik. Right. And like all the weirdness that Tindwell and Sazed were coming up with last section. There's some ulterior motives here and I don't know what it is yet, but it's a heel turn in a in a way that doesn't make total sense.
1: Okay. All right. So, we open up this final chapter of the week with quiet contemplations before moving to a conversation between Vin and Soar in discussing an end and the possibility of imitating a terrorist, and whether or not you know that had, that had gone on with Orser in the past, and had this conversation is cut short. Though as she notes that the mist that there is mist on the floor, and that Zane is in the doorway, and he says it is time for them to go wherever. But man, at this point and through the end of the last chapter, even when we were talking to Vin, that thumping is really driving vin up a wall it seems it, it seems like it's just adding to this layer of anxiety pressure and stress right yeah i'm
0: i'm stretching but is this connected to the spike somehow like is mm-hmm. that amplifying something i know she can feel like the distance and like, the direction of where this is coming from but is it a conduit is it an antenna of some sort i don't necessarily think it's related but i can't get it out of my head so sure. i'm gonna try to draw connections constantly
1: wherever you can <laughs> oh man especially because yeah. he's
0: fucking gone by the end of this section
1: yeah true 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 and and that seems to be a part of this right is you know is that is that thumping maybe caused by something else so i don't think that's a bad i don't think that's a bad read That always sounds like I'm talking down to you. I know that you know that I'm not talking down to you, but I feel like I need to reiterate for other people, I don't mean that negatively. Yeah, I just sometimes don't know how to say positive things when I mean neutral things. So
0: (laughs) I am fully aware Oh no, you are fully versed in my negative neutral. This is me addressing anybody who might have beef with that. I am fully aware that Crossland knows a lot more about future context of things that would be spoiler in the book so i uh, like i take no offense to any way that he responds to anything because sometimes it's just i have to respond to this stoically so i don't give anything else up and like we just kind of have that understanding with each other that like sometimes sometimes i will be met with a stone wall as far as like things that i say goes so
1: that is definitely true. I also sometimes feel like with friends and otherwise, I respond to things with a negative tone when in fact I'm rather neutral on it. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like I use negative words to imply like neutral con- connotations, if that makes sense. Yeah, um,
0: that's kind of all of
1: us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to, it just happens that way sometimes. So needless to say, I, I just wanted to make sure that anyone knows that Uh, cross
0: a shitty friend and he hates me
1: that is factual and man you you can finally see the attraction here between zane and vin they're not like perfect mirrors or anything like that but they can see each other in in their reflections in their own way they're both very clearly damaged people hardened and reassembled by the lives that they've had to live if you want to look Closer at Zane versus Ellen, it's kind of a trust and love versus attack and power thing, and I I think you could even go so far as to maybe extend that comparison to Ellen and Sazed and Kelsier and zane although not entirely Kelsier had some like love elements but at the very least you can see those those kind of at least semi-parallels between the two and how they value those things against each other as as the two sort of characters zane and ellen but vin realizes she can't go without ellen she can't leave without him and zane snaps in that moment What is it about him that draws you? He isn't a great leader. He's not a warrior. He's no Allomancer or general. What is it about him? And as we find out, it all boils down to Ellen's ability to trust Vin with her life and her decisions. Yeah, And it's a wholesome moment, but...
0: It's kind of. You also, like...
1: Dude... (laughs) I mean, the bottom end Zane. is a wholesome moment. The rest is fucked. Yeah,
0: Zane's got some real unhealthy views of relationships in general.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, have you seen his dad? <sighs> oh, Wait, it's also Ellen's dad. So <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, there's that. Right. I mean, he even says that he loves her at one point in response uh, to Al- or Vin saying that Ellen loves her. Like, but we like what's kind of touching is that we. I don't know. I don't think touching is the right term, but we, we get a not total rejection response from Vin, but in, in a compassionate way.
1: It's, it's meant to be compassionate for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She,
0: she says, I believe you in response and leaves it at that basically. And like,
1: ah, that is okay. I I definitely want to, want to let you continue. That to me is is such a crazy moment where it's like, I love you. I believe you. And that is that is biting to hear on the other side of that coin. But, but in, con- you can in understand. context,
0: it makes total sense though. For Van it
1: makes total sense. I agree but, with you. Yeah. But
0: also because she's talking about how Ellen loves her. Yes. And right. it's it's he interjects and she responds in this way and then continues mm-hmm. on. Um So like boiling it down and taking it out of context, it it sounds harsh, but I I don't Mm -hmm. think it comes across that way in context so much. So like I I think she's got a strangely good, healthy grasp on a relationship at this moment, which is (laughs) pretty different from the rest of the section when she's talking about relationships. So, yeah,
1: yeah definitely it it does not does not mesh right or as you would expect i guess is kind of the way that i would take it so this is this is the culmination of everything that she's experienced over the course of these chapters which is another reason that it feels like it would feel wrong to separate the beginning and end of this section right is because this is the total accumulation of trauma and growth that leads vin to this point of being going from i am the knife and i am just a weapon to now I can acknowledge that I am a full person of whom should holistically trust and love the people that I choose to trust and love, which is something that even Zane is seemingly incapable of with his claims of love to Vin, incapable of trusting her, which is ultimately what leads to this this point in this section. Yeah. Right. So, before anything else on this, before we get into the 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 combat
0: i don't think so i think between this and like everything we've talked about throughout the entire section i think we've got it pretty well covered
1: cool i i just can't reiterate how much i enjoy zane's character and weep tragically for zane in the way that he never could have he never got the opportunity to have a life that he would have done better, and he was not set up for success. He was set up to fail, and so there was no way that he was ever going to do well to begin with. So that's that's the tragedy of Zane in a lot of ways, and his inability to recognize that is unfortunate as well. So, so before Vin can fully explain why all of this and in her feelings and kind of the the moment of disparate love between the two zane's anger flares and he flies into her and they tumble through the night attacking and fighting for real she shouts the secret code to or and makes it over to him expecting him to open his shoulder and we get our terrifying reveal i think uh, almost a crazier reveal than that of this this moment this fight and of zane or soar is the imposter Ten Soon had filled his place on Zane's order. Holy shit. I remember the first time I read this, and I was shocked. My brains were blown out the other side of my head. How do you feel about this one?
0: Like, we were just talking about Tensoon last week, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, it was such a good reveal, man. Fucking shit. Oh, it's it's... What's the most complicated about this whole thing is that we've come, or at least I've come to trust my feelings towards Tensuun or Sore, and I guess that that's that in and of itself isn't complicated. What's complicated is that it still seems like those feelings aren't unfounded; like those feelings are still valid. So it's this really intense reveal of an imposter while also not feeling like a total betrayal it's just a different feeling than what it would feel like if it was all just a lie i don't know i don't know the right way to describe it but like it, it feels very unique in that sense
1: right because the the twisted part of this is once we get the time frame of when all of this kind of went down you you have this perspective of okay th- the The cold Chandra that we had right off the bat was Orsor. The shitty Chandra was Orsor, And the one that started to respond positively over time to Vin and Vin's affection and care has been Tensoon. So it feels as though we've grown to know the imposter and have have grown to become friends with him over time. So... It is it is a fascinating and wholly unique character reveal that I have never seen in another piece of media. This is wholly unique. I don't even I don't even know where to begin. I do want to give you high amounts of props for keying into one of the most critical differences in this entire story. For working out very early. The difference between Orsor and Tensun's interpretation of the contract relating to killing humans. You keyed in to that difference immediately. The moment that it was brought up and there was a contradiction, you're like, nah, uh that's not right you said it was something else beforehand but you never keyed into it being a different person right which is kind of the the fun of this reveal yeah but you you were you were on the you were on the trail in a different way the whole time you were suspect of the contract consistent right right you're yeah. of the contract though not the person talking about the contract Correct. which is you know i'm not i'm not faulting you for it i'm just saying like it was you know that That is the one piece of groundwork that you really get to, like, really ground the Orsoon difference. And you immediately were like, that's wrong, right? And I was like, sure. And, uh, yep. you know, the, the because he reiterates it so much, I have to be like, yeah, no, it, it is weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to, I don't want to, like, make the statement of, like, pinning it on Brandon, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Brandon's just an inconsistent writer. Whoops. <laughs> <He> fucked up. <laughs> no, that doesn't sloppy. happen. Yeah, right. So
0: if there's one one way to describe Brandon
1: in my mind as far as his writing style goes, it's sloppy and yeah, none of it makes any sense. So yeah, absolutely cheers on that one. I'm gonna take a drink because that one was one that I noted on my side where it's like that's that is a prediction, that is not a prediction. Because you were so keyed it, into the like, idea. Yeah, making that a prediction would have keyed me into something. More. Just have blown it out of the water and would have been way too much. So, especially in this book, I cannot overstate how difficult it was to even try to fabricate positions that weren't totally unreal for you to even make predictions about. Like, this was almost impossible. To do outside of what the story itself did, right? We, we go from there into this moment and, and this fight, in sort of the combat between the two. And Zane's repeated mantra that he said a couple of times, and, and it's like, You are my savior. And in, in these moments in this chapter, he repeats, you could have saved me. You could have saved me as though it is impossible. And calling Vin his savior is perhaps one of the worst parts to me of what's going on with this man. It adds this layer of tragedy to this sort of despotic person who can't break himself out of this cycle that we've come to know. And it really paints him as this sort of tragedy, this tragic character and i know i know that we've we've been mentioned of some of these things before but this is this is that real moment where he's unable to look inside of himself for anything because he's seeking all of his validation externally everything from his commands from his father to his appreciation for vin all of that is external so i just yeah. man feel for zane but you know at the same time shitty person so perception wise
0: like it really kind of changes him from this malicious character to somebody a little bit more broken and confused
1: and just kind of sad what a great character man totally and it's it's unfortunate you know of course that this is this is the end they they get into this incredible bit of combat and despite the odds for vin and despite her lack of ATM, as we find out with this lead ball that is actually not really ATM that we, we get to a little bit later she continues to fight back against saying knowing she's going to die pulls on all the stops duralumin we find out though is another betrayal of ten who shared the trick and secret beforehand and shared her knowledge about the 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 metallurgist of whom shared of whom gave her Duralaman and was experimenting with her and the tables completely turned. Vin is on the back foot and then Tensoon's little outburst presses her to soothe him, gain control, using Tensoon against him. There's so much here. There's so much here. Oh, there's a it's ton of like the epitome of like, how do we talk about all this at once?
0: I mean, I guess we don't really have to. We can we can kind of lump it together like you are. I was on my like the edge of my seat the entire fucking time through the first time reading this it was exhilarating and every every single action felt like it could be a horrible betrayal or a turn of fate or something like there was always that idea that either something very good is coming or something very bad is coming and it's just one of the most fun fight scenes i've ever read i think yeah,
1: to even call it a fight scene feels gratuitous until the end because it is almost a torture scene in some ways in the way that Zane just has the upper hand the whole time. Vin is Vin is like putting up her best effort, don't get me wrong, and I, I definitely am not saying that she is the underdog, but it, it, Zane is very much in control of these moments, and so it is an intense scene in every way, shape, and form. And, you know... That almost works, that pressing on Tensoon to get that little chunk of ATM out almost works if it weren't for the fact that the ATM was really lead Coated with that outside of ATM, we've talked about this paranoia often with Zayn instead of this episode. She tries, despite that, to fight against him, trying to let that ATM burn out, and then realizes that the ATM isn't perfect. She gets him in this moment by clearing her mind and not planning her strike, but instead reacting to his and she gets him right in the windpipe, right in the throat, taking him down.
0: I was expecting something like this to happen for a while. And like ever since we found her without any ATM, I was expecting something something special with Vin to happen to say that she could like defeat an ATM using Mistborn. That said, even though I like kind of expected to happen, it still paid off. It was yeah. still it was still satisfying to to see that payoff. So Yeah. It was exciting.
1: Yeah. It is an incredible payoff in moment. The idea that she can like kind of dodge around and watch this man of whom is basically reacting the equivalent of three seconds in the future and pending himself up and waiting for him to see how he changes his reaction for her to react genius and fits within the system like that's i think the most critical part of this is that it is well defined within the system and not untenable because right. otherwise this could be like a shorthand hack you know for sure yeah fairly easily so she gets him in the throat and from there we cut to zane for a moment and he mentions the voice that voice that's been in his head this whole time god had never tried to convince him to kill her but God does speak to Zane in those last final moments and lets him know that he wasn't insane. What a moment. I do want to real quickly before you talk about the the moment with uh, God and Zane at the very end, I want to correct something that I said before. I said that I'm pretty sure she said something. That was mostly because I wasn't 100% certain, couldn't search, etc. And there are those moments where it's better to answer close but not, ro- not like. It's fine. We're good. It was corrected. So I knew it was coming up. I knew it was coming, but
0: I think in general, it kind of sucks that we don't get to know more or don't get to hear more of the interaction between God and Zane. I'm still assuming we'll get more of this God character somehow, maybe through the spike. Maybe that's the sort of, maybe it's like possessed in some way. I don't know, but uh, man. Such a great close to that character, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to take the moment here with with that and turn that into a little bit of prediction of, like, are we going to get more of the God character out of here? Okay. Because I do think that that is, at the very least, a prediction about the idea of this character, and it does feel like the the story leaves us going, question mark, question mark, question mark. God, yeah. not insane. Zane's not insane. Something else was maybe doing insane. this to him. Yeah, right? So <laughs> we 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 cut from that death and that moment here to the end of the chapter between Vin and Orsor, one wherein he states that he has to return to his people because his contract is void and done with. And it's it's a sad moment between these two pe- these two folks. How mm. how did it leave you feeling?
0: I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. I think, but after everything that's happened with them I, I feel like this could have been the moment where he would break free from the grips of the contract in general and the, the sort of the grips of his people and their rules I guess and join Vin in her newfound quest that they've been talking about like that. this feels like that kind of moment that that could have happened so I don't know There's been like he's he's proven that I don't know. I don't know.
1: I guess I don't have that much more to say. All right. Okay. I mean, yeah, there there is an element of you have the opportunity to leave your your system, your the governance of like what's controlling you behind. You could do it. Yeah. There's there's that kind of meta meta textual of like, come on, man, like the contract was not actually it was it was maybe socially binding but we know it's not magically binding so right what you what you doing there mortal skin god man so okay pj we're at the end we have finally finished this week's reading we have the final comment here which is the last logbook here in chapter 48 he is a good man Despite it all, he is a good man, a sacrificing man. In truth, all of his actions, all of the deaths, destructions, and pains that he has caused have hurt him deeply. All of these things were, in truth, a kind of sacrifice for him.
0: God, it's weird reading this and thinking about Zane. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, re- read that yeah. Read that again, thinking about Zane.
1: No, I, I, I think you're right. I think that... It is, this, I, I think you finally keyed into something with this story, which is as opposed to the previous book being a, all of the logbooks felt like a prelude to the next chapter. These are almost a post to the previous chapter. Which makes more and, sense and so,
0: because they're like in the same chapter. It's yeah, I mean. The, before the, the title of the next chapter. Or the, well, the, b- only.
1: The break. Only inside of the audiobook, inside of the book itself, it they're after the number, so it's like forty eight and then this and then the chapter, okay. so yeah it's true, you're right, yeah, 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 but you're right. regardless, regardless, we have reached the end of our episode. I'm gonna make the um executive call because I know that this episode has been long to and and i say that in the fact that i'm pretty confident that this episode is going to cut down to like 250 maybe given what we know about how we do episodes right now without us doing anything else we've got a couple of different things we want to address our question of the week that has been sitting there for three weeks i have answers i want to talk about them but i think that it makes sense for us to push that off as well as we have a lot of pjs predictions to pay off i think what we will do is A, question of the week will move to next week again. I'm so sorry. And then PJ's predictions will also move to the beginning of next episode. I like that. Idea. That way we can pay them off properly. I'm drinking before the episode, everything else, it'll be fine.
0: I because I finished my beer. Yeah. So I'd have to open or create another drink before doing that. So
1: Right, right. And especially because you have to wake up in several hours. It doesn't make sense. So yeah, just to put it into context, we have one, two. Uh, three, four, five, six, seven answers on PJ's predictions. All right, so it's quite a bit that we'll be opening up next week with. So um, with that in mind, we're not going to ask the question of the week that I had planned for this week in, or that we had planned for this week. Instead, we're just going to move into next week. We are going to be reading chapters 48 through 50. It's a quick, easy read should lend itself to a very short episode. Thank you for your patience of getting through this work. one. I'm, Jesus. I, I say you do these that things every fucking time. I also say these things in post vj sometimes where I'm like it's going to be a long episode and then it's like 2 hours and I'm like, well that's not a long episode for us. But yeah. you know, that's that's how I'm feeling in the moment. So, it's, considering we've been use. here for 4 plus hours and doing doing this one. So, you almost know. 5. Very I'm very proud of what we recorded. Don't get me wrong. But next week, chapters 48 through 50. So that's where we'll leave you for the week. Thank you, as
0: always, to our producers, Tim and Andrew, for helping us keep our show's lights on. Check out the links in the show notes. You can find our schedule, Patreon, previous episodes, website, all of our social media accounts all in one very convenient location
1: we also want to take a second to thank our two new patrons today our first is barback cuz and our bartender to only spoon Armsby. Excellent. Very excited. So, as mentioned, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit at Words Whiskey Pod. Facebook is Words and Whiskey Pod, unfortunately, because Words Whiskey Pod was not allowed. So, comparatively, if you search, you'll be able to find us fairly easily. So, if you want to send us an email answer question of the week or any feedback or anything like that, you can definitely leave us that at wordsandwhiskyshow at gmail.com. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash wordsandwhiskey. Beyond that, I had another thing to make mention of. What was it? Hold, please. This is the end of the episode. There's one more thing. Oh, leave us a review on spotify or itunes we'll be reading those reviews next week prev- given given the length of the show and kind of the planned episode out i know that we will have time to read those so we will be reading those so if you want to sneak one in before next week feel free to leave us one at on itunes and we'll we'll give it a go leave us a review or a star rating review as well on spotify very important to our discoverability five stars only or else aaron from howler will come after you with a pointy stick
0: yeah she yeah she does that it's
1: terrifying it it really is she's forcing us to have an in-person meeting and while i adore the idea (laughs) i am simultaneously terrified by how easily i was commanded so with that (laughs) we will we will see you next week goodbye goodbye